Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hey, it's me, Colin, your beloved co-host of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. I wanted to take a moment to thank you for downloading our show and for supporting us. If you like what we do, consider telling a friend or leaving us a nice review on a podcast service of your choice. And if you really like us, like really, venture on over to Patreon and subscribe to Colin's Last Stand. Doing so gains you access to the weekly Sacred Symbols supplemental podcast we call Sacred Symbols Plus. And you can also get ad-free access to every standard episode of the show, like the one you're listening to right now, three days earlier than the public. Other perks include submitting your inquiries and thoughts to be used on the show, and you can even determine some of the games we record Let's Plays for. I'll be frank, Colin's Last Stand's Patreon is a bonanza of value. And hey, we have merch too, so check it out at tinyurl.com slash sacredshirts. So consider showing your support if you can or even want to. But hey, if you want to just keep listening like you are right now, that's cool too. We love you either way. Enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 67. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by the sickly Chris Raygun. Yeah. Chris, how are you today? I'm I'm okay. Sick, a little sickly? I don't know. Like, I've, I've had, uh, it's like 5% of a cold hmm. for like a while. It's not getting any worse. Right. It's confusing. Just consistent? It's just a consistent inconvenience, which Given is the, the worst thing. I'd rather just be completely ill. Right. And then at least you understand your fate. You understand what, what's happening. All yeah, of those kinds yeah. of things. I feel like I'm always blowing my nose in the shower. 
Does that happen to you as well? Like where you just, I don't know if it's the steam it's that's the coming steam. in and yeah, I do that too. loosening up the, the mucus and whatnot. Yeah. But when I was flying last night from JFK to LAX and we were coming down from, uh, you know, 30,000 feet or whatever we're at. I don't know what altitude we were at. I, my nose just started randomly running for no reason. And then I, I had no tissues. I had nothing. I was just, you know, doing the no, annoying sniffing the, the stuff up back through your nose. I'm sure the guy next to me really appreciated that. Yeah. Planes uh, are great. Oh, God. They they serve a purpose. I'll yeah. say that much. They serve a purpose. Chris, it's good to be here with you today. Indeed. It's good to be here with all the uh, the audience now. I was telling Chris before we started writing this, I or sorry, recording this rather, I was writing the episode at JFK when I was waiting for my flight yesterday. And I was like, Jesus Christ, this is a boring episode. And then overnight, PlayStation 5. Yeah, conveniently. Conveniently comes out of nowhere. And it's especially convenient because we're recording this a day later than usual. Yeah. So it's very serendipitous. Which was already planned anyway. It was. So it's awesome. And I got to have, you know, I got to express a little bit of concern because... I saw a few comments from people, various people that are fans of the show being like, well, where's the episode? Where's the episode? Did I not make it clear last week that the show is going to be a day late? How much more can I possibly do for you people out there than just spell it all out? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because then I'm on here and everyone, you know, I put fireside chats up in, in place of yeah. sacred symbols this week. and Everyone's like, well, where's sacred? Do you listen to the show? Well, that means are you people just like fast it. People, people are everything? excited to see it. That means they don't listen to what you have to say, but they're excited to hear you speak. Right. It's a little weird. <laughs> I appreciate that. It's yeah, like listening yeah. to a song. You don't really know what the person's saying, but you enjoy listening to it nonetheless. Chris, Sacred Symbols, I noticed that on the free feeds, we've been asking people over the last few weeks to leave us nice reviews on free feeds. This really does help us find new audiences and allows us to algorithmically climb up the charts. I have noticed that you guys have been complying, so I do appreciate that very much. Please do continue yeah, much thanks. to do that. We really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. And if you're not going to leave us a five-star review, just go away and don't, don't leave us a review at all. Control's uh, Sacred Symbols Plus episode, as promised, is free for all. You can just go to patreon.com slash Colin slash Stan and listen to it there for free. No, no, you know, just as promised. And uh, I saw that we're going to talk a little bit about the best-selling PS4 games of the last month, September, and Control didn't chart there either. So this game... Mm is a commercial bomb, bonafide commercial bomb, which I was surprised about. So maybe not the best show for us to dedicate or a game for us to dedicate an entire episode of Sacred Symbols Plus to. But nonetheless, Sacred Symbols Plus is our new supplemental podcast available only to patrons at Collins Last Dance Patreon. But when we do game-centric ones, I want it to be available to yeah, all. Yeah. So go listen to it and be confused about what the game's about, just like I was. Yeah. What else here? Chris, something embarrassing happened to me yesterday. Oh, no. That I clued you in on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. So I'm a big Vita fan, as everyone knows. I'm a big Vita evangelist, and I've been a Vita evangelist since I got my Japanese Vita back in 2011. It's been a very, very long time. And I think it was sometime last year that I actually upgraded to the Vita Slim model that was announced and revealed, I think, back in like 2012 or 2013. I bought a few of them on Amazon and stowed a couple of them away and then took one out of the box and started using it. Now, I'm an idiot. Because I don't understand technology at all. Every, that's well known to everyone that listens to the show. It's been a fan of mine for years. I, I really am technologically illiterate to the maximum degree. Like I might as well be 70 or 80 years old. You're like a Luddite who loves video games somehow. Right. Somehow. Isn't it weird? Like that is I, strange. I yeah. love video games, but I really don't understand technology very well. Oh, my Jesus Christ. What that was, was that? a heart attack inducing thing to see. Oh, my God. There's a, there's a guy washing the window in <laughs> behind Colin. I'm going to take a picture of it. Holy so can... shit. 
I felt my brain shiver in my skull. <laughs> I've never felt fear like that. You've been weird things have been happening to you. I'm just I'll get back to the story in a minute. But weird things have been happening to you because also the ta- there's a table behind you that's like a cocktail table that I have. And it just holds a lamp and some other odds and ends. And it just randomly tipped over when Chris was standing next to it. But I watched the whole thing. Chris didn't touch it. I did watch the whole thing. So some there's like, like some kind of uh, bad luck fairy following me around this this last week. Look at this guy. He's going to town on that window. Huh? I feel like window washing is kind of dangerous. Isn't oh, it? yeah. hundred percent. It's definitely an antiquated profession. My God. Well, you scared me. Your eyes bulged out of your head. And I was like, holy <laughs> shit. Is Chris having like a heart attack? Is he like having a Bernie Sanders type heart attack? I hope not. By the way, I hope Bernie Sanders is doing very well. It was yeah. a little sad to hear that, wasn't it? I'm, yeah, I'm sure he's all right, though. He's, he's, he's a New Yorker. He's hanging in there. Yeah, that's true. But, so, uh, yeah, so, all right, so, so Vita. Let, let's get back to this Vita story, because I think the audience is really going to like this. Yeah. So I think at some point, 12 to 18 months ago, I really don't know. I could probably look on Amazon and see when I bought them. But I started playing my Vita from, you know, the Vita Slim, as opposed to the original Vita, the thicker model Vita that's got, you know, the beautiful OLED screen and all that kind of stuff. And the new Vita, just like the old Vita, has its own charger. But the Vita, old Vita charger is a proprietary charger. And for some reason, I just thought that the charger on the new Vita was also proprietary, not realizing that you could just plug it in to your PS4 yeah. or use whatever cord that is. What is that? The USB micro? It's a micro USB, yeah. And charge the Vita that way. How embarrassing is that? I mean, yeah. that's an embarrassing story <laughs> where I told Chris, because I, I, I was going to say something on Twitter, and I'm like, we got to save this one for the show because... This is this you, is too much. You texted me asking for to bring a, the Vita charger, and I was thinking about like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I lost the Vita charger, and I've just been charging it with the thing that you plug the uh, the PS One Classic, those classic consoles into. How did I not know that? I don't know. I'm really not very observant, I guess. I guess not. Not with cables. No, not with certainly not with cables. Do you like, know, you know what, what the cable for the Switch is, right? The USB-C, the one that's like entirely uh, ovular and it doesn't oh, matter. Oh, is way that you put also? It in. I thought that was proprietary too. So that's a totally different thing because we're going to talk about that USB charger s- shortly in regard to the PlayStation Five. No. So that's also. Oh God, man, I'm I'm all sorts of fucking stupid. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. It's pretty interesting stuff. So yeah, so for the last twelve to eighteen months, I've been playing this new Vita unaware that you could just charge <laughs> so, it whenever. Somehow unaware that you could just charge it with. The PS4 is, charger. I mean, how bad is that? It's pretty shocking. I mean, it's pretty bad. I I told Chris, I think, what I tweeted or texted at him privately yesterday. I was like, I think I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be one uh, one thing that would be worth it. One solution to the problem is because uh, I, I did the little, you know, the Native American, the American Indian crying gif. I put that on Twitter yesterday. <laughs> now, I got to hide the, the fact that I didn't know this because people assumed I was talking about the original Vita. Ooh. So it, it lucky, hit, you lucked out there. I know because otherwise that would have been. That I didn't would have even know the a, original Vita had a proprietary. It charger. did. The original Vita absolutely. So that's what I was telling Chris. I'm like, it's not that embarrassing. It's embarrassing, but it's not as embarrassing as if this was going on for seven and a half years. This was only going on for about a year and a half. All right. So it's not that bad. It's bad. You are you are uh, absolved. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm buying indulgences from Chris here. So, Chris, there's a few other things we need to get into before we get into the what we're playing and then the news. And the news, obviously, is what everyone's super curious about today because we're going to talk about PlayStation 5 in some detail, which is very exciting. Yeah. The first thing I wanted to bring up now, this doesn't have anything to do with PlayStation specifically, but it does have to do with a publisher duo and developer that publishes games and develops games for PlayStation consoles, Activision Blizzard. Uh, the Hearthstone trading card game is obviously very famous around the world, and the... I guess, did you see this? That, I, bl- that yeah. Blizzard, I guess, removed the earnings from a Hong Kongese. I think that's how you say it, Hong Kongese 
or Hong Kong. Somebody from Hong Kong. Yeah, someone from Hong Kong. Uh, they won basically this Hearthstone tournament and then they said something expressing uh, admiration and support of the Hong Kong kind of democracy movement and the freedom movement apart from mainland China, communist China. And they banned this user, removed his earnings. And there were some other things happening, including, I think, to the people that were broadcasting the interview as well. And this is the second time in just a few days that a major American corporation, the NBA being the other major corporation, yeah that has kowtowed to communist China to protect its business interests there. And I just wanted to say for my own part, I don't like we're not political on the show very often, but I think I do think it's important here. The kowtowing to communists is and the kowtowing to a totalitarian dictatorship in China that runs concentration camps and all these kinds of things is completely unacceptable. And I don't think we should have a hot war with China over our differences. I don't think we should have a hot war with China over even Taiwan or Hong Kong. If anything happens there, I don't believe in warfare unless it's in our own self-defense. But American corporations have some sort of obligation, I think, to play by American rules. Yeah. I just really was disappointed by this. And I knew that some of the audience would be ex- would expect us to say something about it. I- I'd like to hear what you have to say about it, Chris. But from my perspective, I just wanted to throw that out there. We support or I, I don't want to speak for Chris. I support what's going on in Hong Kong. And I think it's really fucking embarrassing that these mega American corporations are so afraid of their money to interests on main, in mainland China that they'll do things like this. Uh, you know, I just wanted to say that I, I don't want to get too much deeper yeah, into yeah. it. It's really toothless. I think it's really kind of like just kind of pathetic. To just not stick by the people who are like, these are people who love your shit. Like, what are you doing? Right. Like, that's that by itself is just kind of a really shitty thing to do. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, South Park obviously released an episode, I think, recently or about to release an episode that's incredibly offensive where I think, you know, the Chinese are upset about that. And this is not obviously anything about Chinese people. It's simply about the communist government there and the control they have over their economy and how much money they have now that Americans and Western corporations are now bowing to the wishes of these yeah. of these communist megalithic moneyed interests. And I think it's wrong. And so I just wanted to say that. It has nothing to do with PlayStation because the Hearthstone's not on PlayStation. But. Right, yeah. It is, it is concerning. I, I think this is kind of like one of those things where it's like, this kind of shows... Uh, this raises some concerns about the amount of Chinese money that's going into the American uh, game development ecosystem. Like, I wonder what that means, like, for... Bungie, yeah, got, like Tencent, you right? Know? Tencent, Tencent money, yeah, Tencent. So, like, what does that yeah. mean for them? Like, what is, what are they allowed to do? It's 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 kind of creepy. It's definitely something we're going to be hearing more about. Yeah. So, I guess we're setting the stage for this because remember too that Chinese developed games are now migrating to PlayStation for the first time. We've been talking a great deal about that this year, and yeah, there's going to be a lot of open questions about how all this works. We have diametrically opposed political systems to what what goes on in communist China. And I just am really concerned as a just an American about our corporations not worrying about making money. That's what you know, the fiduciary obligation of these companies to their shareholders is to make money. But at what cost are you making this money? And and I'm not going to say anyone has blood on their hands because I don't think that's true. But the Chinese government has blood on their hands with what's going on in Hong Kong. And so to support that, I think, is really fucked up. And all of these bot accounts that come out of the word work, by the way, Twitter's banned in China. So any of these Chinese accounts that are coming out of the woodwork to defend all this stuff is <laughs> coming from farms. Yeah. <laughs> you can't go on Twitter in China. It's not allowed. It it's doesn't crazy. work. It's, it's crazy out there, man. So like, I, I just wanted to say that. Yeah. I hope that's OK with you, Chris, that I brought no, that up. No, for sure. I agree. Steve Neely wrote into us. 
on Patreon. And remember, if you support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, you can get early ad-free access to our shows, the ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show, access to Sacred Symbols Plus, etc., and so on. Dr. Neely came in with a save here, Chris. He says, hi, CNC. Dr. Neely here for some insight into your taint question from last week. Oh, my God. I believe you two were pontificating the nomenclature for the area between the anus and the scrotum or vulva. The correct medical term is perineum. It originates from the Greek perineon. That's P-E-R-I-N-A-E-O-N. Peri meaning around and inion meaning to discharge or defecate. Horrible. Stephen Neely, MD. I hate that. I hate everything about that. Now, I appreciate he used the taint in quotes here. You won't be able to see that. On Obviously, this is an audio show. I was also, you know, there's other words for it. But we're, and I'm not going to call it the perennium. You know, no, the no, taint no. is is fine. The grundle is obviously that should be <laughs> so terrible. that should be baked in now. To I, medical I, textbook. I, I hate that word so much. There's just no reason to refer to it ever unless you get like stabbed or shot there. Right. You know, it's an empty space like a like a Barbie doll has that, you know, exactly. Like when you used to strip, you know, things off of Barbie dolls or similar dolls and there would yeah, be nothing yeah. down there. That's the perennium. Horrible. Horrible knowledge. Kirk wrote into us. Now you're really going to start getting upset, Chris. Oh, God. He said, hey, guys, Earth is really just a dense molten core encased in a layer of solids. So is it a ravioli? Holy shit. God, God help. Oh, no. I'm going to become religious by the end of this by the end of this show. (laughs) Kirk, I take issue with this. I understand what you're saying, but the earth's not edible. So, I mean, I think part of the ravio now parts of the earth are edible. Things that grow atop the earth. Well, a black hole could eat the earth. That's true. Is edible just defined by like what a person is capable of consuming? That's very interesting. There's poisonous poisonous foods that animals can eat that we can't. That's also true. You've really blown my mind here. Maybe Kirk is onto something. Maybe. Maybe everything is edible. Is Earth really just a ravioli? I don't know. I, I, I'm not comfortable with that question. I'm not comfortable with it either. I don't even know why I brought it up. That reminds me of those uh, when I would have an, uh, discussions with my family about like, oh, what's natural medicine and what's unnatural? It's like everything's natural if it happens. Oh, you know? Yeah, sure. By definition, if it happens, it's natural. Natural. That's true. Rubinos wrote into us and said, hey, CNC is a wheelchair, a bicycle. Yes. I think so, although I was thinking that a, a wheelchair technically has four wheels, right? Because there's the two yeah. smaller wheels. So it's actually more of a car, if anything, right? <laughs> it, yeah, I guess so. It is. It's like a tiny, uh, it's like a Flintstones car almost. Right. Except you use your hands. Or a, like a horse-drawn wagon of some sort, right? Because Well, actually, a horse-drawn wagon would have two wheels as well. No, they have no, four No, they'd wheels. have four wheels, right? Because it's not like a, yeah, it's it's not not like like a rickshaw. Like a rickshaw, right. It's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. One that uh, will uh, confound scientists for ages to come. Yeah, I'm gonna, sure it's going to plague us on this show for sure. Oh, 100 percent. And fr- finally, Ryan Delvecchio wrote in us and said, hi, CNC. I was just writing in to say that I think my favorite part of the show is when you both specifically discuss ways to tell your Uber driver to shut the fuck up. Please continue this trend. Take care. <laughs> Ryan Delvecchio from Garfield, New Jersey. Now, to be clear, we don't tell them to shut the fuck up. Chris has a technique that I've actually shared with my brother of putting headphones on and pretending that he can't hear anything, which is obviously out of Seinfeld when Elaine's riding in the back of the cab. Yeah. And, and she can't she pretends she can't hear the cab driver. We always go back to Seinfeld. But also, again, the Uber comfort option allows you. And I, I did that from the airport yesterday. Don't talk to me. I don't use Uber, though. You use Lyft. Yeah. Mm. There's no option there for you. No, I just have to be social or not or not. Or just be clever about my antisocialness. Are you ever in a situation where you have to tell someone, like, that's enough now? No, I can't do that. If somebody's really talking to me and they're having a good time, it's like, yeah, whatever. And some conversations I've had that are pretty good. 
Yeah, yeah, I've had but, good uh, conversations with Uber drivers. Yeah, for the most well. part, I'm just—I usually like slump over and pretend that I'm like just, just slow, uh, slowly dying. Oh, okay, and then they just leave you alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah they don't want to get involved with that. Yeah, then they're culpable. You ever look at the picture of the person that's picking you up and kind of try to guess if they're going to talk to you or not? I do that. Yeah, yeah. Where I can kind of feel it out a little bit. I took like a hundred thirty-five dollar Uber from JFK to the middle of Long Island Jesus uh, when I went home, which was ridiculous. And the dude didn't talk to me at all. It was awesome. But then I've taken Ubers from Philadelphia Airport to the Philadelphia suburbs, which takes about an hour to see my brother. And these guys are telling me their whole life story. You know, the big thing about Uber drivers and Lyft drivers, I'm sure, that I feel like needs to be excised from this entire situation is that the need for them to tell you that this isn't all they do as if it's an embarrassing thing to drive an Uber. See, that's the you ever have that before? Yeah, yeah. I do. It's like you don't need to tell me that you're working. It's fine. You're, You're performing a service. I always feel like. Well, I, I do this on the side. I, I actually used to be a real estate agent. So I'm like, I'm like dude, you I don't, don't need, need that. to justify yeah. that. You're working. I appreciate I you. I don't need the lore. Right. I don't you need know? exactly. I don't, I don't need, need your lore and your backstory. Because <laughs> how many times are they having this conversation? This is why I love cabs, man. I, just, I, I, I miss cabs. They just pick you up. They don't say anything. Maybe they shout at somebody out the window. That's about it. And then they don't take credit cards, which is also they fun. Take, they take credit cards. In New York, they do. But oh, they that was here? a big problem in California, which is where Uber kind of came in and ate right. their lunch. But I always felt bad for the Uber driver that was like, oh, I do this on the side or I don't need, you know, I don't always do this. Or I'm like, that's fine. You don't need to. Exp- I, I don't I'm not judging you. They should do Uber uh, motorcycles. They should do Uber motorcycles. That'd be fun. Uber scooters and stuff of, of this nature. 200 cc yeah. Uber scooters. But I always <laughs> felt bad about that because I was like, well, why are people ju- are other people judging you? See, that's what I always wonder. Like, are you getting into these conversations with people in your life or in the Uber where, where, where you're feeling judged? So now you have to preemptively tell me that you're a real estate agent. You know, I'm like, I. Like, yeah, I don't know. Have you ever gotten like a Postmates order that was just like way wrong and you're like, how how the fuck hard could it be? Yes. It's like one of those things where I think people are like, how the fuck hard, hard could it be to drive a person? Yeah, that's possibly true. Although my big thing with Postmates is when they forget your drink, which happens more often than I'd like that to admit. That happens a lot, yeah. And by the way, how often to you does a Postmate driver just disappear with your food? This that happens the me. other day. That happened the yeah. other day? Not often, but the other day. It happens one in 15 times, I would say, that I order. Like where they just they're out. They just take it. And I'm always wondering, like, is this the end of this guy's Postmates career? <laughs> you know, are you experiencing that yourself? Like you're taking my fi- he's like, fuck it. I'm not bringing this five guys to this idiot. I'm yeah. out. Yeah. Fuck this guy. Or they say like that they're there and they never show up and then they just go. I don't even know what the show is about. <laughs> Chris, let's talk about what we're playing. You have Destiny 2 Shadowkeep here. We just put up a Shadowkeep yeah. Let's Play on our YouTube channel. So go check that out. Chris plays it for about a half an hour for your uh, enjoyment. How are you uh, enjoying Shadowkeep? I'm liking it. I'm having a good time in it. My entire apartment is now back into it, so I've been having a lot of fun messing around with them. We just did like these crazy. There's so there's so many events that take place in that game that you take part in and you figure out as you go that they don't tell you what to do, and it's kind of fun. I like that. There's like a lot of mystery and just the way things work, mm. and then you there's a lot of aha moments that I don't really get from a lot of shooters. Or even like looter shooters a lot. I feel like even in the division, they would just like tell you, you know, what to do, do this, do that. Loot based shooters. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm liking it. I'm having a good time. I think the game is in a really good spot right now. Cool. And uh, yeah, it's, it's more Destiny, but I think it's probably the best incarnation of it that I've seen in quite some time. Yeah. What is there anything different about it now that like the feel, the look, the presentation now that Activision's out of the game? I noticed that. Activision being out of the game seems to have maybe affected server load because wasn't the game crashing? Or well, I think what happened was they they had uh, Destiny 2 New Light, which was like the free to play kind of expansion that went out for people who have never played it. It's like, hey, try it out. So I think the influx of people 
just trying out something for free might have been more than uh, was capable. But mm-hmm. I didn't play the first day. Uh, I played I played like a day after, and I didn't. I, I haven't had any server server issues. But there was like a a hilariously long queue for some people on the first day. I know that, but I don't know what's different necessarily. I think they've tweaked. Uh, the way weapons work, I think uh, the way they're going about uh, the story is a little bit more fun. I don't necessarily know if that's to do with Activision quite yet. I do know that there's like a, a season pass thing going on right now that like gives you all this free shit even if you don't pay for it. So that's like super nice. Oh, interesting. Yeah, there's like a free tier and like a a paid tier, but the paid tier isn't stuff that you only get through the you could you could earn that stuff in game. So it feels a lot more. It feels less like microtransactions to me, even though they very clearly are. You know what oh, I mean? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Feels fair. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. It seems like a lot of people on my my friends list are playing it, so... Yeah. Glad you all out there are engaged in Destiny 2. Happy for Bungie, even if they have now ownership of a... or partial ownership of a Chinese company that's probably going to be busting balls real soon. Probably. Well, hopefully not. Maybe. Maybe they won't. We'll, we'll hope see. not. Uh, Chris, I've just... I was gone, so I was just playing a little bit of Vita. Uh, I was playing more Tales of Hearts R, not much more to say about that, but I did play a game called A Whole New World, which we talked about last week, A-H-O-L-E, A Whole oh, yeah, New yeah. World. It's okay. I, I don't really recommend it. I First of all, I had no idea it was already on PS4. I think it's on Switch as well, if you guys want to check it out. I don't really recommend it. The interesting thing about it, it's a pixelated side-scrolling action game where you're jumping in the holes, and there's like gravity that brings you down in the hole, so you play upside down, and then you play right side up. It's a cool idea. But the pixel art in the game and the background pixel art and the parallax scrolling is so busy that you can barely see shit sometimes. It's really not well made from that perspective. Really noisy I, art design. Exactly. It's a very well, a very good way of putting it. So it's fun to play. It's pretty crude. It, no offense to the guys that made it. I think it's it, I think it's exciting. But knowing the game we're working on and the game that we're going to release hopefully early next year makes me feel real good because we're we're in good shape <laughs> if this is the baseline <laughs> Uh, Vita quality game but nonetheless East Asia Soft my friends over there at East Asia Soft they're publishing hard copies of the game so when they said that I was like oh I'll go and check it out and I played it it's fine I I wouldn't really recommend it though and by the way these with East Asia Soft and limited run games and all these guys doing these 1,000 2,000 1,500 runs of Vita games there's not going to be many people that have complete hard copy Vita collections out there it's going to be really competitive there's probably only going to be a few people that ultimately have all of them which is pretty interesting. Yeah. And it would piss me the fuck off if I was a collector. <laughs> Just because it's like, Jesus, now I have to like... Yeah, well, I mean, that's the point the of the ship. collector. If you, if you have... If something's available to everybody, then what's the point in collecting them? That's true. You know what I mean? That's a good point. Chris, let's get into the news. This is what everyone's been waiting for. Yeah. Now, this first item is pretty long. I'm going to be reading for just a moment, so uh, bear with me, but we're going to get through a lot of information here and a lot to parse through. I'm going to cook, cook a pizza in the meantime. Yeah, and go cook a pizza in your, in your uh, brick oven. And... By the way, our Sacred Symbols Plus episode this week will be about PlayStation 5. We're going to solicit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience and kind of let this all settle because I imagine there will be a few more pieces of news that sneak out in the next day or two. So we'll cover this in much more depth on Sacred Symbols Plus later in the week, but we'll obviously give it an honest and thorough go right now. Yeah. Number one, from completely out of nowhere, Sony has decided to talk in more detail about its next-gen console, including confirming its name. The hardware will indeed be called PlayStation 5. The rumors of its release date are also true. Sony is aiming to launch the console in the holiday 2020 timeframe. While PlayStation's president and CEO Jim Ryan wrote a brief note on PlayStation blog confirming this information, most of the new details about PS5 are actually in a Sony-endorsed article from publication Wired that has some new interesting details. 
For starters, Sony's Mark Cerny clarified Sony's earlier claims of PS5's ray tracing, quote, there is ray tracing acceleration in the GPU hardware, end quote, Cerny confirmed. Let's stop here. So apparently, and I don't understand technology as we already, you know, established, but apparently people were wondering if this was, these were software level tricks that were happening. And apparently it being built into the GPU hardware means that this will be ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's a big piece of news uh, that they actually led with that. That was the lead of the story. If you go read it. PS5 will also uh, tote a solid state drive that will deliver the lightning fast load times we were shown earlier this year on a version of Spider-Man running on PS5, and it will indeed accept physical media in the form of 100 gig optical discs. PS5 itself will be a 4K Blu-ray player. So okay. more information, physical discs, we already knew about that, 4K Blu-ray player, 100 gig optical discs, so all new information. As earlier rumored, players will also be able to install and draw from only pieces of a game's data if necessary, such as segmenting multiplayer from single player, allowing quicker access to games and more room for devs to work within the parameters of those portions of the game. So it seems as if and they played around with a little bit of of this. And this was actually promised on PS4. If you go back and read and look at the early videos about PS4 that really come to fruition, you'll be able to download Call of Duty multiplayer by itself and get right into it or you'll be able to download the single player and get right into it. And the the segmentation apparently will allow greater, I guess, possibilities in terms of game scope, graphics, textures, all of those kinds of things as well. Mm-hmm. So that's also interesting. Sony is also working on major UI fixes to the PS5's OS that will give players more granular access to games more quickly, like a mission list for a game for from the base OS that will allow you to boot into, say, mission six of a Killzone game, as opposed to going into the game and using in-game menus to get to the same place. So that's another interesting thing. That's kind of cool. So when you go to a, apparently whatever the cross-media bar will be, you'll actually be able to jump directly into a portion of the game without booting the game up itself, which is interesting. Yeah. So I like that as well. The PS, I'm sorry. No, that's a cool feature. I like that. The PS5's controller has also been loosely outlined. Wired's writer claims it looks a whole lot like the DualShock 4, but with what appears to be a microphone that will let you more effectively talk to your console. Oh, my God. So remember, the microphone functionality on PS4 is either through a a headset or an earpiece or with your camera. So this will now be built into the controller itself. The DualShock 5 totes adaptive triggers, quote, that can offer varying levels of resistance to make shooting a bow and arrow feel like the real thing or make a machine gun feel far different from a shotgun, end quote. So that's also interesting. They were talking about the tension of shooting a bow and arrow and how you'll be able to feel that in the triggers, which is kind of cool. It's actually it's something. Haptic feedback in DualShock 5 also allows for more than mere rumble, isolating the effect and the strength of the effect on different parts of the controller. DualShock 5 is apparently heavier than DualShock 4 and will be charged with a USB Type-C connector. So you were talking about the Mm -hmm, Type-C connector earlier. This is what Switch uses. Interestingly, those hideous images and mock-ups of the PS5 dev kit that look like a V may actually be the real thing. The dev kits the Wired author saw looked like those, apparently. Jesus. So you guys can go. This, I think, was broken by Gizmodo, but you can go look at some of these small low-res images and then mock-ups that artists have done about what they think it is. It basically looks like a Roman numeral five without the line on top of it is the best way, I think, to describe it. This apparently is what the dev kits look like. Now, whether or not this will translate to the regular console or not remains to be seen, because as people might remember, the PS4 dev kits look like a massive Dell tower turned on its side. It looks nothing like the console. So... 
I don't know if that's going to be the form factor of the of the PC or not. It makes me wonder if they're going to. And I said this in a few weeks ago. Are they going to double? Are they going to double down on like this is the PS5 and this thing looks like a V, like a five? Is that the idea behind Maybe. it? Maybe. Because uh, if it is, that's fucking stupid. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm not a fan of that. But we'll see what happens. Now, Kendrick Luckenbach wrote into us on Patreon. He says, hey, Colin and Chris, Sony announced the PlayStation 5 this morning in an article from Wired. The most interesting nuggets about this article aren't about the console itself, but the controller. The DualShock 5 will support haptic feedback, adjustable triggers, and they are doubling down on speakers in the controller. It might seem like a gimmick now, but an extra addition to vibration could be another level of immersion in the generation to come. Adjustable triggers could be key to players wanting to be competitive in Call of Duty or the next kill zone, perhaps. Thanks for the juicy tender podcast. Keep fucking that chicken. Now, Chris, this is interesting because if, I, I encourage people to go read the article. It seems like Sony's going with Wired because so, Wired has now had access to multiple things yeah. about PlayStation 5 exclusively, which is fine. That seems like a, a reasonable uh, outlet to go with. But one of the interesting things he talked about is that Gran Turismo is running on PS5 and how he was driving on dirt and then pavement and all these things. And you can somehow feel it mm. in the controller in a way that I don't know that I can really describe. Maybe because, again, I'm technologically ignorant. But what do you think specifically about all this stuff around DualShock 5? Because that's where the most information comes from with these triggers, with the haptic feedback, the heavier weight, form factor being similar to PS4, which I predicted. I, I felt like you needed to have the touchpad and all that kind of stuff on there for backwards compatibility. So what do you make of it? I'm a little bit surprised that the thing to me that sticks out most is just the mission list thing. Being able to jump into something, into a specific part of a game without booting it up. That to me is the only thing... That has caught my eyes because, unfortunately, a lot of these other things are already a part of the Xbox One ecosystem. And that's super weird to me that that's like a next-gen thing. I guess they just didn't do it for the PS4, but like, I remember when the Xbox One launched, it had haptic feedback in the triggers. It had, you know, you were able to download portions of games first. And I was just like, this is weird that they're announcing this stuff. I guess they did it in like a tweet or like an article, so it's not the heavy stuff. But I can promise you right now, those triggers are not going to come into use <laughs> for the majority of it. Like, maybe in the beginning, they'll have, like, something. But Gran Turismo will definitely use it because Forza did with uh, on the Xbox One. So I'm sure that'll be, like, a thing in the beginning. But I promise you, it'll just be a heavier controller that'll feel better at the end of the day. Like, by halfway through the console's life cycle, I'm sure that people will just be like, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> Developers are going to be like, I don't know how to, What? How do you even do that, really? Right. Unless you're really tr all in on it. It seems like it's not necessarily useful. Yeah. Right. And like, the microphone in the controller is a bit. I, I guess everything's just listening to us, listening to us now. So I guess I don't really mind it. Well, people think the microphone has to do with PlayStation Assistant or whatever that thing is. Yeah. That yeah. Patented. Oh, I'm sure. And I'm probably sure it's going to have like some kind of like voice commandy thing. Like, right. hey, PlayStation, go to whatever. I'm sure that's going to be a thing. Right. And, and a lot of people don't know this, but you can already do that on PlayStation if you yeah, have the, the camera headset. hooked up or yeah, with the headset mm -hmm. where you can be like, you can load up like say Killzone and it'll load it up. It's just that no one does it. I remember only doing that to test it. And then you if you actually for people that don't know, if you go to options and then you there's one of the options is to like see what you say to make it start. Like yeah. it says like you say, you know, whatever. So a lot of weird stuff in there. That does seem kind of similar to what's going on with Xbox. I'm actually happy about the controller being heavier because I think PS4's yeah. controller could use a little more heft. I like I, I always liked heavier controllers in general. Yeah, me too. So that makes me happy. Man, the, the, like those original PS3 ones were quite a uh, quite a thing. Now, Chris, talk to me a little bit about this 100 gig optical disc, the 4K Blu-ray player. I mean, how big of a deal is all of this? Because we're already seeing The Last of Us Part Two and mm -hmm. Red Dead Redemption Two using two Blu-ray discs. 
as they stand right now on PS4. So this seems like a necessary step. Sure, games yeah. are becoming huge. 100 gigs is a lot of space. So what do you make of, of that particular aspect of it? I think it's cool. I like it. I like the uh, that feels like there's a technological leap happening. Whereas like PS3 to PS4 was obviously just more Blu-ray discs. So this is cool. I like uh, that I can now have a PlayStation that plays 4K Blu-rays. I, I was kind of baffled that that wasn't in the Pro when it launched. Uh, that was a strange oversight to me. Right, and but that again, is in I, the Xbox, right? That, the it's 4K. in the Xbox One X, right. yeah, the Scorpio. Okay. Which uh, That was another thing. I was like, uh, why would they... I guess it wasn't that big of a deal, and people aren't really buying physical media these days anyway. I still do for the movies that I love. I'll buy the 4K Blu-ray because it just looks great. But uh, that's a good step, I think. I think a lot of this, though, is kind of undercut for me for just the feeling that it is kind of catch-up in, in a weird way. They've always been better on the, on the software front, at least for... Um, you know, exclusives and shit. And I feel like now they're just kind of catching up to like all the stuff that uh, competitors have been doing. But it's that's a good step forward, I guess. You know, you well, might as well. <laughs> you have a great piece of insight, really, in the fact that from a PR standpoint and from a marketing standpoint, it seems really smart to bury the stuff that's not that exciting and wired art, wired articles so that when they're on stage and they're really talking about the console in a yeah. major way for the first time, people are like, you're fucking talking about haptic feedback? Yeah. You know, or something like that? Yeah, for sure. I, th I think this is a smart way because I think once obviously this reveal gets closer we're gonna start seeing the real shit i think this is these are nice little tidbits but i do feel like they're more like hey you know it is a next generation system we're gonna have all the things that some people are used to and that's good and i don't think anybody's gonna really complain about it you know sure and i like this idea i think you're absolutely right too chris that i love the idea of this mission structure of these of segmenting games and getting people really in quickly no, yeah because that was another promise that was in some way shepherded in with ps4 that they just never realized people might remember with killzone shadowfall from gorilla specifically which was a 2013 launch game that when you started that game up it launched immediately mm -hmm. it, it went right to the start screen it wasn't one of these things that took 35 seconds and you had to look <laughs> at all the middleware logos and all this kind of shit that they're doing i was really impressed by that and then it just got worse and worse from there which i thought was strange like why that's what happens at the beginning of yeah. every console generation, man. They just do these things. Like uh, Xbox One, it's like, oh, there's going to be rumble motors in the triggers. And I was like, that seems cool. And then like maybe five games use them to any real meaningful degree. Right. And it's the first parties, like you said, with Forza. Yeah. And obviously with Killzone on the other side, the first parties that are obviously encouraged most to use these things. So we're going to see that out of uh, Gorilla and all of those. Now, there's other things buried in this article, including the fact that Bluepoint which is a Texas-based studio that Sony works very intimately with, is working on a PS5 game. This makes a lot of sense with what I understand that they're working on, why that wasn't revealed. Now, I didn't know that it wasn't a PS4 game. It actually makes it more interesting that what I, as I understand what they're working on, is a PS5 game and going to be a pretty big deal. So it seems like it's mm -hmm. going to be a, a launch game, whatever Bluepoint is working on. And that blue point was included in this interview is actually, I think, a, is maybe a red herring, but I don't think so, of Sony's increasing relationship with Bluepoint. There's long been conjecture that Bluepoint will be purchased by Sony because they work so closely with them on a lot of these remakes and remasters, including most prominently uh, the last or not the last Guardian, the the uh, Shadow of the Colossus remake. Mm -hmm, yeah. So or remaster. So there's some other things buried in there, but you guys can go read the article. It basically just talks to Mark Cerny, talks to Jim Ryan, who's the president and CEO of Sony and it was an unexpected thing to wake up to this morning. In fact, uh, Aaron, my girlfriend, woke me up to tell me because she thought it was such a big deal. And it is really uh, random, really it, crazy out of nowhere. Cool. Now, I was going to wait to talk about this a little later, but I think the timing of this actually sucks from one perspective, 
which is that Concrete Genie comes out today as we're recording this this week. Concrete Genie is is technically a first party Sony game out of Pixel Opus, which is a small studio that Sony has incubated in Northern California. Now, Concrete Genie, I, I bought it last night. I already bought it. I'm looking forward to playing it. I think I'm going to do a let's play for it. It's getting good reviews. The game was probably never going to sell very well. And I feel like it's really weird that like you release one of these games that you've been kind of toting for a long time that you actually paid for. It's not like a third party game or even a second party game. Technically, yeah, it's yeah. A, It seems like a first party small game, probably not very expensive. And then the day it comes out, you plaster the PlayStation blog with PlayStation 5. You have this Wired article going around. If I were a Pixel Opus, I'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? It is a bit it is a bit of a steal your thunder kind of moment. Like, Very why would weird. You, why would they do that? Why And why not just do it any other day? That's the whole thing. It's like, why not do it tomorrow? Well, what's weird to me... Or next week. I'll be real. Like, their marketing has been very off. Uh, I feel like why... <laughs> The state of play being so recently, too, is just well, like, why not say something about it there? Or, like, why not end the show there? Or why not kick the show off with that and then end with The Last of Us or whatever? It just seems weird to just do it today. Yeah. Give it, like, a week or, like, a, at least, you know? It's not... Or I don't... I shouldn't say it's not because I don't know that for sure. It it doesn't seem like it's one of those things where it's like, this was going to go live at some point. And we need to kind of nip it in the bud. Wired was invited to, yeah. to see it. And they were certainly under embargo. So unless they were thought that they were going to get scooped in some way and it had to go quickly, which is possible, that happens sometimes, or that the one hand is just doesn't know what the other hand's doing. And yeah. I would be fucking mortified if I were the PR person in charge of Concrete Genie because now everyone's emailing Sony today, not about Concrete Genie, not about Concrete Genie codes or getting access to the game yeah. or, you know, any of that. Now everyone wants to talk about PS5. It's just blunderous. I mean, it's actually a blunderous move. I perceive a real lack of elegance in how they're going about their messaging as of late. I don't know what it is. It is a little weird. We're going to see how it all shapes up in the months to come, I think. Yeah. But yeah, I wanted to throw that out there because Sony has three games of any import this fall that they're publishing. Pic uh, Pixel Opus's Concrete Genie is one. Obviously, Other Oceans Medieval comes around, uh, uh, around in October. That's another. And then obviously Death Stranding is the big AAA game. But they wouldn't do this to Death Stranding. So I just feel like it's kind of a disrespectful thing in a way to the studio to be like, yeah, you had literally two hours and now we're going to yeah. move on to the next console. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Just wait till next week. Let's just make the embargo next week. It's so weird. Because some people are like, well, it doesn't really matter. And a lot of I tweeted about it and a lot of people were like, I didn't hear about the game to begin with, which just goes to show you how bad Sony's PR is getting and marketing is getting and just getting the shit out there to begin with, which is a, no, a whole nother problem. But that aside, it is an issue to to cannibalize yourself like that. And For I sure. just don't understand it. I just don't get it. And a lot of people are bringing up the really salient point of fall 2016, as we always talk about with Battlefield 1 and Titanfall 2 coming out within weeks of each other from the same publisher thus cannibalizing each other and both of them don't achieve what they could have achieved because of that just very stupid and i don't understand the hastiness of the planning in that regard it doesn't make any sense to me so i wanted to throw that out there just to be on the safe side sure is there anything else you wanted to say about this before we move on no i think it's cool that we're finally getting like the confirmed name and they're actually talking about it as the as the thing that's exciting. But yeah, the name are, is, is awesome. I mean, it, it, it makes sense, right? Yeah. That we know we can, we're not just calling it that. Yeah, exactly. And that's cool. And it's nice to it's nice to actually have like some concrete uh, facts about it because it really shows that it's it's real. It's no longer kind of theoretical and kind of in the background. But these are the tidbits. These are the little things. Cool to know, but 
not all that exciting. I'm I, if anything, this just makes me more excited for the reveal. Me too, and which I guess is the point. I do respect the PR on one in one regard in this way, which was to go with Wired or to go if they wanted to go with an IGN or a GameSpot or whatever, as opposed to going with PlayStation Blog because PlayStation Blog they own. PlayStation Blog can't really tell the truth in a lot of ways about what they're seeing or doing. And I don't mean that as an insult. It's just like you're not going to listen to the PlayStation broadcast and, and hear them shit about on Concrete Genie. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And so if they were the ones that revealed it, then you would have a lot of questions about like, well, is it really feel the haptic feedback really feel as good as they said in the Wired article and all that kind of stuff. So I, I find that very relevant. Lola's barking. Why is Lola barking? Lola? She's excited about the PlayStation. Maybe it's the people cleaning the windows that's freaking her out. Oh, maybe. Those That's demons. also a possibility. The demons on the uh, ropes outside. It's terrifying. Repelling down my building. By the way, the windows need to be cleaned. I think that's the first time they've done that in like two years. You can barely see out of them anymore. <laughs> you don't even need to have the blinds shut. Well, I definitely saw that. Man, your eyes bulge out of your head. I, I won't soon forget that image. Good. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today. Number two. Much to Chris's consternation, mm -hmm. Doom Eternal has been delayed and will no longer be launching in November of this year, as was originally planned. In a post on the official Doom Twitter account, developer id says in part, quote, throughout the development of Doom Eternal, our goal has been to deliver a game that exceeds your greatest expectations across the board to make sure we're delivering the best experience for Doom Eternal to live up to our standards of speed and polish. <sighs> We've made the decision to extend our launch date by a few months to March 20th, 2020. We know many fans will be disappointed by this delay, but we are confident that Doom Eternal will deliver a gaming experience that is worth the wait, end quote. Interestingly, the team then goes on to talk about a few odds and ends, including the fact that Doom 64, first launched for N64 back in 1997, will be coming to PlayStation 4 on the same day as Doom Eternal, and that pre-ordering pre -ordering Eternal rather will get you 64 for free. So a pretty cool piece of news there. And we talked a little bit yeah. about Doom 64 a couple of months ago about how I wasn't aware that that was even a unique Doom game. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a port of a Doom game. So that's pretty cool. Uh, what did you make of this, though, Chris? Because in Sacred Symbols Plus last week, we talked about our most anticipated fall and winter games. This was one of yours, obviously. Mm, and yeah. it's one of mine, too. But I wanted to give it to you because that's one of your games. And we were kind of noting that it's peculiar that this close to its November purported November release that it didn't have a specific date. So they yeah. were kind of telegraphing this for a little while. Uh, but what did you make of this delay? It's 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 bittersweet. I wanted to play it now. Obviously, I, w I wanted it today or like five months ago. But I mean, game be late and great than here and, you know, broken. So sure. I'm, I'm totally all right with it. Uh, I I think I have a lot of faith in id and just the confidence that they have. And the fact that it actually makes me super happy about it because it means that they have some kind of pull at Bethesda that even uh, that Fallout 76 did not. Uh, because that game was very clearly not ready. 
And uh, the fact that it can be like, hey, we need some more, we need more months. And they, they just get it. That makes me feel pretty good about what they've got. I'm excited about it. I, I think, first of all, the game looks great. And, and I, I said and I, I kind of uh, accented this particular part of their write up on Twitter speed. That's mm-hmm. the first thing they talk about when they're talking about why they need more time. They talk about speed and polish. And that makes me think that this game obviously needs to run at 60 frames and that they're still getting in tech to run this game at a fluid and high frame rate, I assume. And that's so essential to the experience of Doom. Yeah, that I think that delays never hurt a game. Now, it's it's true that delays don't always help games when you when it ultimately happens. But famously, The Last of Us, as people might remember, The Last of Us was delayed at the last minute, as people might recall, it was pushed like two months uh, towards the beginning of 2013. It came out, obviously, in June of 2013. And Naughty Dog will tell you, if you talk to Neil Druckmann and those guys, that that was essential to making the game great, that it was essential to making the game go over that extra 5% to become the masterpiece that it was, as opposed to just a great game. And so we probably are in a similar, similar situation here. And when you think about id's work, I mean, it would have been three years or so in between the games. So they were making this game pretty quick to begin with. And I think giving them more time makes a lot of sense from that from that perspective. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it more now. Like I was I was a little bit worried leading up to it because, again, that it didn't have a date. And I was like, oh, man, I really and Bethesda has been like really shaky lately. I was like, oh, man, I really hope they don't rush this thing out. And this has given me a lot more. I, I've got a lot less weight on my shoulders about this, this particular release. I think you're right about Bethesda playing this one a little bit differently. For people that don't know, Bethesda owns id Software, so they're publishing the game. And I think that Bethesda probably realizes that they're losing a little bit of cachet now with the audience, if not a lot, actually, with the way Fallout 76 was received. But not only that, there were other games and other instances of just weirdness with Wolfenstein, for instance, recently, which was just not very good. Yeah, Rage, which was just kind of okay. Right. So I think that they realize, like, we can't... First of all, they probably don't need need the game in this fiscal year. The game will be coming out towards the end of their fiscal year. So they probably don't need it. And also, I think that they realize, like, we can't do this again because while Rage 2 sold appreciably and while Fallout 76 is actually one of the best selling games of the last two years, they realize that also your reputation in games is so important and their reputation has been taking a serious hit, which is so surprising because if you go back five years and talk about Bethesda, they had the biggest swing. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, so (laughs) it is strange. And so I think you're absolutely right. I think that this is a calculated uh issue to not only get the game to exactly where it needs to be to make sure that it is 100 percent the game that it needs to be in order to sell well and get that critical success that's so important as well yeah and doom especially has to be great because it's such a sleeper hit right and uh if if any of like of all their games that have come out this is the only one that i've seen people have serious conversations about game of the year about and you, you gotta you gotta let that thing be finished are you concerned about it coming out in march of 2020 though because that is crowded territory i mean there's a lot of shit coming out in march now just and i can't even think of all the games off the top of my head but i know that there's a really crowded q1 that's culminating in that march area and so uh, are you concerned that it's going to be now competing for eyes for eyeballs and money because this fall doesn't seem that crazy compared to most falls yeah i i can't remember anything that's coming out in march though you know what I mean? I know there's a lot coming out in March, but whether or not any of it is going to be of any interest to me. So this is I, like a I, beacon to you. Yeah, it's time. like, oh, now I have something to look forward to in March, aside sure. from, I don't know, uh, some Far Cry. Right. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> like, I can't. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I don't know. I'm sure something's coming out that I forgot about, but nothing that I'm actively thinking about. You know what I mean? Well, some games that are coming out in March 2020 include Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yeah. Yeah. 
Watch Dogs Legion. Mm-hmm. Ubisoft's Skull and Bones apparently is also coming out then. So there are a few games that they're going to be competing with that are Final Fantasy VII Remake is going to be huge. That's the biggest one. So we'll but see. There's, I don't know if there's that much crossover. Yeah. In Doom, <laughs> Doom and Final Fantasy. There might be. But like, I don't know if it's necessarily competition wise. I'm the rare crossover between those two games. Yeah, you're probably right that it might not be incredibly heinous, but I'm actually kind of relieved to see games leave the fall because yeah, I feel like especially we're going to read the games in a little while that are coming out this week, but there's so many games out now and that are coming out in the coming months that I'm like, damn it. Like, I don't have time for all. Yeah. I just don't have time for all this. And I can accept not playing Assassin's Creed games or something like that, but I cannot accept not playing some of these games that are coming out. And so Doom leaving is actually kind of a relief in, yeah, in some, kinda, from it some just It just means November is super empty. I'm always empty, so I can I can accept that. <laughs> just like my soul. Number three, Sony's long in development 7.0 firmware update is just about ready for launch on PlayStation 4. And by the time you hear this podcast, it is ready for you to download. As you may recall from the firmware beta that ran for several months, the big update 7.0 brings with it is the increase of PS4 party occupancy from up to eight players to up to 16 players. In a PlayStation blog post, Sony also promises improved network connectivity and audio quality for parties, as well as chat transcription, which is pretty cool. Actually, so if you're hearing impaired or that the is game really is just cool, really yeah. loud or whatever, apparently that's only available in the U.S. for now, but that will be going out to, I guess, other languages soon. Remote play is also getting a boost, particularly if you own an Android device. With firmware 7.0, for PS4 games can now be played remotely on phones and tablets running Android 5.0 or higher, so long as you have a good enough internet connection to support the feature. And yes, DualShock 4 will be compatible with remote play on Android, just as it is elsewhere. So this 7.0 firmware is not that exciting for me, but... It's a pretty big deal if you play multiplayer games or play remotely because those are the two things that are really touched on in 7.0. Did you download it yet? Uh, I don't think so, actually. I was up late last night when I went to download Concrete Genie at probably 2 or 3 in the morning and I had to download it. So it went up overnight. So if you're listening to this now and you haven't downloaded it yet, do it. You know, turn on your PS4 and get that out of the way so you don't have to deal with it uh, later on when you're actually wanting to play. Number four, Sony's somewhat straggling PlayStation Now initiative is getting a huge new push alongside new game releases and perhaps most importantly, a new, much more affordable price. PlayStation Now used to run about 100 bucks a year, but it will now cost $59.99 annually or your local or your local equivalent, pardon me, with $9.99 for monthly access and $24.99 for quarterly access. Again, you'll have to translate that to the funds in your region if you're not American. Even though the service already has 800 games available for it, Sony has added four new games that may just be what that may just whet your appetite. God of War, Grand Theft Auto 5, Infamous Second Son and Uncharted 4 A Thief's End. Those four games will remain on the service until early 2020 when they'll then be swapped out for other high end games. Quote, each month, the service will add a new selection of marquee games that will be available for a limited time or a limited period. End quote. The PlayStation blog announcement post reads in part. In an interview Sony's Jim Ryan gave with publication Wired about Sony's fresh push with PlayStation Now, he notes that more than 700,000 PS4 gamers already subscribe to Now with an annual growth rate of some 40% even before the price drop. Yet, quote, the two things that people tell us they don't like about the service are the price and the quality of the games, end quote, issues both he and his team are now working to ameliorate. Ryan Pacheco wrote in to us on Patreon and says, hey, Colin and Chris, with Sony dropping the price of PS Now to $59.99 a year, the same cost as a year of PS Plus, could we be seeing Sony preparing us gamers for an increased focus on PS Now as next gen approaches? Maybe they will roll Plus and Now into the same service, eliminating the current free catalog offerings in exchange for the PS Now catalog. Your thoughts. Love the co- love the podcast. Keep up the great work. 
this happened actually right around the time we put up the last episode of Sacred Symbols. Mm-hmm. And this has me interested, much more interested in PlayStation now, just because the price point is so much more appropriate. Yeah, definitely. I think they're probably they probably are doing a push uh, to lead into the next gen. What that would eventually end up being is a bit too early to say. I don't know if necessarily they'll roll it into the same service. I think what they're probably going to do is something the way that Xbox Live and Game Pass work, whereas Xbox Live's like a tad more expensive of a service, but... Uh, Games Pass is kind of like a supplementary thing, uh, which would be good. Uh, I still think they have like a lot of services that are just kind of like, you know, uh, meandering around like view and all these weird things that they need to figure out some way to get those in. Uh, but this is not a bad, not a bad push. I I envision like I can envision almost the UI in a PlayStation 5 storefront where they have little check boxes and it's like PlayStation Plus, PlayStation Now, PlayStation View, maybe some other things. And you just check what you want. And then it kind of makes a, a price for you that makes it more and more attractive the more in you are on these things. So you can just choose what you want, yeah. which I think is kind of cool. PlayStation Now, though, I think that this push towards uh, Ryan's question, I think this is specifically in regard to Stadia. I actually don't think that this is necessarily ramping up for anything with PlayStation 5 because that's so far away. I actually think that they're just saying like, well, this might be a problem for us. Probably mm-hmm. won't be. So we should we should make it competitive at least and and offer something. So I think this brings the price point in line with Stadia and also in line with what Xbox is doing with Game Pass. And so I think that that's more there's more of an immediate effect of doing this and right. cutting the price 40% just un, unprompted. It's not like you, it's a, a sale or a deal like they do with PlayStation Plus sometimes where it's like you can get PlayStation Plus right now for 20% off. This is a permanent 40% price drop. So to me, that says that they really aren't seeing, even though they're saying 40% year over year growth, they're probably not seeing the buttressed support that they need. 700,000 users with over 100 million PlayStation 4s in the wild is actually less than one in 100 people using it. And so they need more than that. They just need more than that. And I actually think that the swapping games in and out is really quite attractive, especially when you're using a combination of first and third party games. I mean, these are three first party games, God of War, Infamous Second Son and Uncharted 4. But Grand Theft Auto 5, along with Grand Theft Auto Online built into there, is a pretty attractive thing for people to get in. Yeah, for sure. Even if you cancel later, because you can download these PS4 games to your console, unlike the PS3 games on PS Now that need to be played with emulation. So Mm -hmm. we'll see what happens there. But. I'm interested in getting in. I thought it was interesting that Shuhei Yoshida, of course, uh, famous head of Japanese internal studios. It's interesting that he even tweeted out that that got him to sign up for PlayStation now, which I was like, oh, all right. Well, maybe you don't want to admit that because uh, yeah, that's a bit weird to say. You probably already have PlayStation now, but yeah, you should probably have it for free to be. Yeah, it's a little weird that they're little... charging you for it as well. Strange. Number five, Crystal Dynamics upcoming Avengers game due to hit PlayStation 4 on May 20th of this of next year. I'm sorry, has a new playable character in addition to ones already revealed. The character in question is Kamala Khan or Miss Marvel. And word comes by way of an Avengers panel at New York Comic Con. Kamala Khan made her first comic book appearance back in 2013. I looked that up. And she joins a cast of playable characters, including Iron Man, Black Widow, Thor, Captain America, and the Hulk, among others. Crystal Dynamics is, of course, best known for its Tomb Raider games, and the Avengers will mark their first foray into Marvel's increasingly large gaming initiative that has also been occupied by Sony's own Insomniac Games. Did this do anything for you? I actually never even heard of this character, but I'm not a fan I've heard of, of Ms. Books. Marvel, but I... Uh, listen, the Avengers is a, is a thing. I'm looking forward to seeing it, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it comes out May 20th looks fine. I, I think that there's a bit of increasing excitement about it. I feel mm. like this is one of those games that's going to have a lot of excitement by the time it arrives. Yeah. Because I don't think it looks very good. That's 
aesthetically, I don't think it looks very good, but I also just don't think it looks very good. So I, I'm interested to see if people are actually curious about it. But, you know, this this universe, this Marvel universe is so big. Yeah. So appetizing. To I kind of I kind of just checked out of it with the movie, with that big movie. And I was like, oh, OK, good. It ended. I'm done. And like the thought of uh, seeing the Avengers again, but like they're slightly off <laughs> just doesn't really appeal to me that much. We'll see, though. It could be great. Yeah, we'll keep an open mind for it. I'm not going to play it, but I'm sure this is more of a Chris game. Number six, a quiet piece of news was tucked away in the aforementioned Wired article about PlayStation Now and Sony's new push of the service. That news being that PlayStation 4's crossplay support is out of the beta stage, in quotes, meaning that the console can support crossplay on any titles that studios provide the functionality for. That's the full quote. What this basically means is that Sony, once the last stubborn holdout of cross-platform play, will now allow it as broadly as developers want to utilize it, in stark contrast to its earlier Byzantine rules about the functionality that adversely affected the PlayStation iteration of games ranging from Destiny to Fortnite. The article notes that Call of Duty Modern Warfare is the next behemoth game that will allow PS4 players to engage with those on other platforms in this new, freer ecosystem. Josh Bailey, who might be the Islanders player, wrote in and said, hey, CNC machine, there for a while, it seemed that Sony was starting to slide back into their old stubborn mid 2000s self while Microsoft was becoming the consumer friendly brand. Do you think with the latest announcement that crossplay is now available to all developers that Sony could be turning a new leaf in preparation for PS5? Do you think Sony could surprise us with even more pro consumer announcements? Thanks for making every day great with all the content you offer. Thank you, Josh, for your kind words. This to me seems to be something that made them look stupid and that needed to be fixed as quickly as possible. Yeah, for sure. Optically, it was just starting to look dumb and it was just going to look dumber as time got on you imagine if the ps5 launched and this wasn't a thing like I, I i couldn't imagine it especially with nintendo and microsoft cooperating on some titles like it, that's yeah. baffling it's a little weird in the sense that it took them this long and it seemed like there was a back behind I, I mean i don't have any information on this but it seems like there was some sort of behind the scenes civil war about this because i don't really understand what they were so worried about it i understand them saying like well how does this work with microtransactions? If you play Fortnite, for instance, on PlayStation 4, now you use the microtransactions we bought, you bought here and they're available on Xbox. And what if they were bought on Xbox? Then we lose out on the money if you play it on PS4. But they have to realize that this is a loot, like you said, it's a completely losing battle. And it's only going to cost them players if they didn't come around to the realities of this new modern cross-play ecosystem that has been emerging with these persistent games and these online multiplayer shooters. So I don't think it's them turning over a new leaf so much. I don't know that Sony's going to be known as being very pro-consumer moving forward. That remains to be seen. I just think that this was necessary. Yeah, I agree. Officer Friendly wrote into us. Oh my God. He said, hey, sexy Colin and yummy Chris. Ugh, yeah. I have a quick one for you. Am I the only one who does not give a fuck about crossplay? I don't see it as such a big deal, but more of a just a balancing problem online, PC versus console, etc. Great podcast as always and keep beating that dummy thick meat. <laughs> oh my goodness um you I, no i i mean i'm sure a lot of people don't care uh but i i care a lot because i play i have destiny's a, a very specific example i have destiny on pc i have it on xbox and i have it on uh playstation and i've had several characters they just added the the what is it the cross save feature so now all my characters carry between and that's good but it would still be good to just like be able to get everybody together to just do something because I have friends on every platform that can't play with each other, and that's kind of like, it's a reality of just how that, how consoles work. But it would be cool if it didn't have to work that way. And the fact that it doesn't necessarily have to work that way is cool. And it's uh, when you're talking about PC versus console thing, I agree. If you're talking about competitive stuff, you're going to want to keep 
you know, Xbox and PlayStation in their own ecosystem and PC uh, can do what they want. But as far as like Destiny goes, where there's cooperative modes and there's like, you know, player versus environment where you're just, it's just you and your team fighting the AI, the AI or stuff like the survival mode on, on PS4's version of uh, Modern Warfare, where it's just players versus AI. I don't see why there's uh, why there would be a balancing problem getting those players together uh, across console and PC. Yeah, certainly that this is a problem that needs to be dealt with with Modern Warfare, for instance, competitively with keyboard and mouse versus controller support. But yeah, mm-hmm. with these cooperative games, this is like the easy thing that the easy hill to climb to begin this process. And so I, I look at this question, Chris, as, as some people talk to us about or me specifically about trophies, like who the fuck cares? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a segment of people that really care. And so you want to make them happy. And it's about fulfilling that entire pizza pie, right, of yeah. like slices of people that care so you have a robust ecosystem and then you know satisfy everybody and it's it's just a cool thing because this was previously not possible this is just something that wasn't a thing before and the fact that we now know that it's possible why not do it you know it's just cool absolutely it's so neat that this is happening i never thought that this would happen to be real and sony really kind of set themselves up for a peculiar situation that they weren't prepared for with games like rocket league that were playable on on pc and ps4 ps4 immediately against each other and then it just started people asking questions about like well why are you allowing this and not allowing it with xbox and that became petty to a lot of people i think because it was it was a direct competitor now getting involved in this and they clearly were just being petty about it and now it's easy to say that microsoft had no you know business being petty because they're losing and maybe that's true if the if the roles were reversed Perhaps Sony would have been I'm doing sure, what PlayStation was doing. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm sure the roles would be reversed if the situation was was different. But this is just the way it turned out. And I would also make the argument that, let's say, in some, like, this is a crazy hypothetical, but I think it's valid. Let's say, for whatever reason, uh, Destiny 2 sells millions of copies on Xbox One, sells three copies on PlayStation. Let's say f- that is a hypothetical. If you bought that game on PlayStation without crossplay enabled, then that game is unplayable to you. But now... Even though that game might suffer on your platform, you still have a wide ecosystem that you can take part in. You still have a, wi- a, a huge player base that will make sure that game will survive far longer than it would have otherwise. I think it's just smart in general for the games in question. That's a wonderful point, actually, because games like Anthem that seem to be suffering from some player fatigue and new players can't find others to play with, that would be ameliorated in some significant way mm-hmm. if the game was, I don't think Anthem is, but no. if the game was cross-playable between platforms, so that's a great point because it does. There's every reason for developers to be really supportive of this because it right. gives their games life. And it's a good point. You're very smart. Sometimes you're really stupid, but sometimes you're really smart. <laughs> as far as multiplayer goes, I think yep. I'm smart. <laughs> no, you're totally kidding. Number seven, PSVR's third birthday draws near. Oh. And Sony has announced some new games and game release dates for the unit in celebration. Alien Adventure game Bonfire is coming to PSVR on October 22nd. Harmonix's new rhythm shooter, Autica, is coming on November 5th. Exploration game Paper Beast is coming in early 2020. Nostalgia-fueled experience Pixel Rip 1995 is coming in the spring of 2020. And exploration game The Room VR, A Dark Matter, is coming in the spring of 2020. Through October 22nd of this year, there are also a bunch of PSVR and PSVR optional games for sale if you're looking to bolster your catalog. I was looking at the list of games for sale. There's some pretty significant games, and, and the prices are cut substantially, so... If you are a PSVR gamer, as I know some of you are, I am. Chris has one, although he doesn't play it. I don't actually play it that much either, so I'm not going to pretend that I do. Uh, <laughs> you can go and check that out because it, the, the list is pretty robust. And if you're kind of getting into it, now might be the good time to to get some of those games that you've been eyeing. 
But some new games coming to PSVR, I really do appreciate that they're continuing their slow burn of PSVR. This reminds me of the antithesis of Vita, yeah. where they kind of just stopped talking about it and then stopped pretending it even, ex- you know, started pretending it didn't even exist. PSVR is not selling gangbusters, but it is the best selling P- or VR unit by a mile yeah. in the world. And they're slowly, see, that's the connectivity to PS5 that's most interesting because I do think that they're setting up a situation where they are going to release a new headset and these games will be backwards compatible with mm-hmm. it or forwards compatible, I guess I should say. And so there's a lot to be excited about there, although that's reading into the tea leaves. I don't know that for sure. Yeah, but, I will say there's yeah. more stuff coming to PSVR and it's making me more uh, likely to set that thing up. It's just the camera, man. I got to get the camera. Go get it. I will. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Number eight. Last week, the head of Sony's first party studios, Sean Layden, suddenly suddenly left Sony. We we recorded a, a little addendum to our podcast last week about that. But it appears that he isn't the only high ranking executive ready to say goodbye. Sony also revealed via a Japanese press release as translated by Games Industry International that the president of Sony Interactive Entertainment Japan, Atsushi Morita, has retired. Morita is in his early 60s, a bit younger than Layden, so it's unclear if these moves or actually, I guess they were the same around the same age. So it's unclear if these moves are at all associated or if Morita was simply ready to move on to retirement and that the timing is merely coincidental. The Japanese press release reportedly notes that his retirement was indeed due to age and not in regard to his performance or some other behind-the-scenes drama, according to website Gamatsu. His replacement hasn't been immediately named. Jeremy Miller wrote into us on Patreon and says, Hey, CNC, I'm probably the hundredth person asking this question, but don't you think it seems a little strange that after only a few days of Sean Layden leaving PlayStation, we see Crossplay leaving beta and PlayStation now getting a price cut? It might just be a coincidence, but could it be that it was Sean who was holding this progress back with his personal biases? Does this leave a black spot on his legacy at PlayStation? Now, I think this is a little conspiratorial, yeah, but it's interesting, Chris, because the, he Jeremy Miller wrote that days ago. So PlayStation Now's price drop, PlayStation Crossplay leaving beta, Layden leaves, Marita leaves, then the PlayStation 5 is revealed, and all this stuff's happening within a week of each other. 
this is weird. And mm-hmm. I don't know that it's a coincidence that this ha- that I don't know what plays into what. But that's a that's a big confluence of shit happening within a seven to ten day period that I don't actually think is a coincidence. Now, it's it's, it's hard to say what's what or why. Yeah, why this is it's, happening. It's, you're all you're just kind of reading into things if you you know, because there's no there's no definitive answer that we could come to. Right. I do think crossplay leaving beta is a stretch because beta things leave beta when they're ready. Sure. Like the, the, I, I think that's like a, a moot one. But yeah, a lot of that stuff happening at once is is kind of strange. I, I don't necessarily think that Sean would be the one that would be holding that stuff back. It doesn't seem I, I, that's not the read that I get from him. Yeah, and also Layden was in charge of the studio, so he wouldn't be in charge yeah, of hardware exactly. initiatives. But I do think it's weird that there's this seemingly culling. They're not going to ever say that they fired anyone or that you know if Morita was pushed out or something like that. It's possible, and I know a lot of people much more familiar with Japanese industry say that, no, it's about time, his age is about when people retire, and, you know, this doesn't seem that coincidental and might have to do with, you know, some some uh, fiduciary obligations in terms of your corporate year and all that kind of stuff. That That's entirely possible, and like you said, it is all conjecture because we're never probably going to get the answers to these questions, but it is weird. I mean, it definitely is weird. It is definitely strange. The PS5 announcement is what makes it weird. It, it, all of this actually wouldn't have been weird to me until this because it's like, wow, Sean Layden must have been privy to the fact that this Wired article had probably already, the guy from Wired probably already went and saw the games. This probably was already happening. Like, what the hell happened with with Layden? That's a that's a hanging question for me. Mm-hmm, what yeah. happened to him? Just suddenly gone? Really I, weird. Really, yeah. That's that's the weirdest part, yeah. I think, to me. I don't know. We didn't get enough time. You know, like we said last week, I think we have to kind of let the, all the shit shake out of the tree and stuff. And so we have a little bit more information now, but yeah, it's a little weird. It's all a little strange. I agree. Number nine, rumors have been circulating for several weeks regarding possible remakes or remasters of the House of the Dead and the House of the Dead 2, Sega's well-known 90s light gun games. While the rumors have been confirmed by Forever Entertainment, the publisher slash developer that's heading the remakes. In a tweet from the studio, the team confirms that it has signed an agreement for the remakes, presumably with Sega itself, though it doesn't have a platform or release date information as of yet, or platforms, I should say. It sounds like it's still very early going, and since Forever Entertainment itself uses the word remake and not re-release or remaster, that these two games will indeed be in some way reconstructed. The original House of the Dead of the Dead came to arcades in 1997 with a Saturn port the following year. Its sequel launched in arcades in 1998 and on Dreamcast the following year. Neither have seen proper re-releases since. Are you a Light Gun fan at all? Yeah, at arcades. I don't necessarily think that I would buy them on a on a console. Right. But uh, I love them at arcades, yeah. When PlayStation Move came out, that was in 2010, mm-hmm. I think. The light gun games saw a minor resurgence at that time because you finally had a way to really effectively play them. But I agree with you. I'm not really excited by light gun games unless I'm in that arcade environment using like a gun peripheral. And House of the Dead was really the cream of the crop of those kinds of games. Yeah, it was that one in Time Crisis that I remember spending a lot of time on. So this is cool. I'm actually interested in this because I wonder what is encouraging Sega, again, using their own terminology, using... Forever Entertainment's own terminology, they call it a remake. They call them remakes. I wouldn't have been surprised if they were remastering or bringing these games back out, but they're remaking them. That's actually an interesting investment. And I wonder yeah. why that is. Are they seeing more PlayStation Move controllers in the wild now that PSVR is out? And so they think they can take advantage of this. Is it a VR game? How will you play it on Xbox and all of those other things as well? Could it be a next gen game? I don't know, but. 
thought that was interesting and kind of yeah. strange. It is interesting, especially because it, it, it would almost be way safer to just, you know, remaster them. <laughs> yeah, I would be, agree. Because people love that nostalgia. Absolutely. So it's interesting that they're just straight up remaking it. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think in my head, like, the, the games are probably are certainly in 4.3, and they make you look at what they want you to look at, so it might not be as easy as expanding the field of view, because it might not exist in some parts of the game, you no, know what I'm sure. saying? for sure, yeah, definitely. Because you're not really, for people that aren't familiar with light gun games or the House of the Dead, they're basically on-rail shooter games that you point a gun at, you know, like Duck Hunt, but much more sophisticated. And you're not really able in those early House of the Dead games to kind of, like, have your free reign of looking around. It's showing you what it wants you to see, so... They might have looked at it and been like, we can't really remake this. We can we can re we are re-release this. We can do it in four three. It's gonna look like shit. That's what my assumption is is probably. You're but probably right. With you know, this gets me frustrated with Sega because they own some really interesting IP and then they go back to the House of the Dead. Now there's nothing wrong with that. It's a cool IP, but like where's Fantasy Star? You know, like where are all these games that have just been dead for 25 years? There's no Fantasy Star 5 or anything like that. That game would sell. That would really sell. Yeah, probably. Especially if it was like a triple A quality JRPG, yeah. sci-fi JRPG. But alas, I've been bitching about that for so long. I mean, I've been bitching about that for <laughs> since I was in like high school. Number 10, the upcoming PSVR exclusive Iron Man game aptly called Marvel's Iron Man VR finally has a release date. It'll come to PlayStation VR early next year on February 28th. The game has also been priced at $39.99 or your local equivalent and will be available both physically and at retail. A digital-only deluxe edition has also been revealed for $49.99 and will come with the game itself, as well as four pieces of armor, 12 so-called research points to use in the game, a digital soundtrack, and a PS4 theme. As you may remember, the game was revealed during the original State of Play stream and is under development at the studio called Camouflage, that's Camo F-L-A-J, the team most notably behind the stealth game Republique, which came to PS4 way back in March of 2016. I actually really like that game. This game was at New York Comic Con. It actually looks pretty cool. Yeah. I got to admit, it actually looks pretty neat. I think that's the cool shit about VR. I think like a like a like a great Spider-Man VR game is totally possible. I think a great Iron Man VR game is totally possible. I, I I'm kind of into this. Whatever the hell it is. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'm glad that you know. Well, think about it this way: Marvel seems to have been really quite deliberate in the partners it's choosing, whether it's Team Ninja with the Marvel Ultimate Alliance three, obviously Insomniac with Spider-Man and all these. They they camouflage seems to be a random studio, but and they kind of are, but I don't know that they would stamp their name in this new Marvel era on a game that they weren't in support of. And mm-hmm. they showed it at Comic-Con, so they clearly believe in it in some way. So I'm interested to see how it all turns out for that game. Definitely. I'm also interested to see how well that game sells. I mean, is that going to be a big seller? The Batman Arkham Knight kind of weird no, that cave VR thing. thing. That, that was a pretty big seller for, for Rocksteady. So I wonder if we're going to see something similar and maybe they'll sell some PSVR units as well. I, I don't know if they've announced it yet. I, I, I'm certain that they haven't. But this seems like a game ripe for a PSVR bundle as well. Yeah. So for sure. We'll see how that all goes. Number 11. Sony has revealed the most downloaded games on the PlayStation Network for the month of September. Keep in mind that these charts only count digital versions of games and don't take into account retail sales. PS4's 20 most downloaded games in September were in order. NBA 2K20, Borderlands 3, FIFA 20, Minecraft, Madden NFL 20, Final Fantasy 8 Remastered, NHL 20, Rainbow Six Siege, Grand Theft Auto 5, EA Sports UFC 3, PES 2020, Greedfall, Code Vein, Red Dead Redemption 2, Castle Crashers Remastered, Man of Medan, Star Wars Battlefront 2, Remnant from the Ashes, Spider-Man, and Wreckfest. The top 10 most downloaded PSVR games were in order, Beat Saber, Super Hot VR, Job Simulator, Blood and Truth, 
Five Nights at Freddy's VR Help Wanted, Vacation Simulator, L.A. Noir: The VR Case Filed, or Case Files, I'm sorry, Creed Rise to Glory, Drunken Bar Fight, and Just in Time Incorporated. PS4's most played free-to-play games were Fortnite and Apex Legends, while Fortnite completely dominated the, P- the paid DLC and expansions list. I was looking at this, Chris. How thrilled is 2K right now? NBA 2K20, Borderlands 3, number one and number two on the list. Also, how thrilled is EA? FIFA 20, Madden NFL 20, NHL 20, EA Sports UFC 3, all on the top 10 list. So these specific publishers are dominating, of course, along with Rockstar with Red Dead and Grand Theft Auto on the list. One first party game in Spider-Man. And hey, man of Madden. Yeah, look at that. Bouncing along. What's the game that's conspicuously missing? Control. Yeah. I'm really interested to see how badly this game sold. The game came out towards the end of August. It wasn't on the MPD, but Man of Madden was. Mm-hmm. Then we have, and Man of Menon, by the way, came out three days later. Then mm-hmm. you see that game on here as well with no control. People did not buy this game. Yeah, that didn't surprise me necessarily. I'm a little surprised by it. They didn't really market it and it looks, it's just a really weird looking game. I could see it being like a very odd thing to sell people on. I wonder if there was a plan, you know, this long rumored plan of Remedy being purchased by Sony. I wonder if this scares them off or encourages them. In other words, like, are they looking at this being like, we like this game. We clearly believed in this game. Just wasn't marketed properly. We can help you there. Or do they look at this and be like, well, there's literally no reason to get involved with this studio because the game didn't sell at all. And 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 maybe it makes sense why it only attracted a publisher like 505 and it didn't attract a more marquee publisher, which was something we were talking about even pre-release. See, I expected Control to sell really well. So maybe that just shows my own ignorance on... How I just I just think Remedy are. tends to just make games that are really, really, that really speak to a very specific audience. And they don't necessarily always sell particularly great. Like, even the original Max Payne's, like, they sold well for, like, how many people were working on them at the time. They never hit, like, Call of Duty numbers or, or, or like, anything even close. Right. You know? Right. So, they're just, like, a really weird niche studio. I'm interested to see... I guess I got to look. I haven't actually looked too closely if 505 has released any press releases about sales data. Remedy doesn't seem like they would do that. So I have to investigate a little bit more closely because it could still be a profitable game and they could still be fine mm. with the, with how it's done. And it's one of those games like it reminds me of Spec Ops The Line and a few other games where it yeah. might have really slow burning sales and it might just it might just attract like a really hardcore fan base over time. I'll be real. I thought like even leading up to it, I thought it was a PS4 exclusive. Because I just never saw it marketed anywhere on other platforms. Right. And and it is interesting because Sony was talking about them a lot and talking about the game a lot and making it seem not necessarily like a first party game, but like a second party game. It obviously wasn't, but they were putting they didn't yeah. put marketing behind it, but they did put a little bit of that juice behind it on their social media and stuff like that, that I think helps sell games as well. So but you're right. I, I'm not seeing I didn't not that I was watching TV this summer, but even during football, you see a ton of games commercials and stuff. I don't think this game was advertised like that. And I don't think 505 has the... I saw a Gears the, 5 ad like the other day. Yeah. Like in a bar. I'm like, what? Yeah, That's, I've seen I've seen that, that ad quite a few times. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And along with uh, Madden and all those other things that make a little bit more sense. For sure. Number 12. Facebook's embedded functionality with PlayStation 4 is no more. According to a post on the official PlayStation support page, Facebook no longer worked with PS4 as of October 7th. And according to PlayStation's post... Quote, Facebook will no longer be offered as a destination to share screenshots, videos, music, trophy details, or links to gameplay broadcasts, end quote. 
However, in a comment given to Kotaku, it seems like this may be temporary. Kotaku told the, or I'm sorry, Facebook told the site, quote, we're working with Sony to finalize an updated contract designed to improve the Facebook integration on PlayStation. While these discussions are in progress, Facebook features will not be available on PlayStation 4. We hope to bring these features back as soon as our teams reach agreement, end quote. This doesn't seem like a huge deal to me, and it obviously isn't, but it's interesting. Something happened here because they pulled it down. You would think that they would just leave it as it was. Yeah. Until they came up with a deal to make it more robust and more interesting. So I'd be kind of curious to know what happened here. And mm-hmm. if people are even using it, I didn't notice at all. I, I only saw a story. <laughs> no, it, so. I remember this was like a thing on the 360. You, you could download Facebook now. I was like, oh, cool. And then I did it and I posted a status. and I was like, this is dumb. I hate Facebook. Why would I ever do this? Yeah, I, I, I can't stand Facebook. Mm-hmm. I, I really can't stand Facebook at all. I hate it. Chris, a wrap up. Number 13. The PlayStation blog has revealed that cartoonish mountain biking game Lonely Mountains Downhill will come on P- to PS4 on October 23rd. Website Komatsu reports that fighting game One Punch Man, a hero nobody knows, is coming in 2020 with multiple closed beta sessions running on PS4 in early November. That survival game Surviving the Aftermath is coming to PS4 by the end of 2020. That so-called open world exploration farming adventure game. Did you get all that? Okay. Open world exploration farming adventure game. Stranded Sales Explorers of the Cursed Islands will be coming to PS4 next week on October 20, uh, 7th, 17th. rather. That survival game Green Hell is coming to PS4 in 2020. And that tactical RPG Element Space is coming to PS4 in early 2020. Website Silicon Era reports that Shadow of the Tomb Raider Definitive Edition, presumably a version of 2018's Shadow of the Tomb Raider with all DLC bundled in, has been rated in Australia for PS4 and other consoles, though its release date is unknown. And we'll go back to the PlayStation blog because they say they have revealed an upcoming PS4 Pro bundle for Call of Duty Modern Warfare that will launch on October 25th for $399.99 or your local equivalent. And finally, Push Square reports that Capcom's smash hit Monster Hunter World has now passed 14 million units sold, remaining Capcom's best selling game in its four decade history. And insane. Insane. It was only a few weeks ago we talked about the 13 million seller. So I think Iceborne. Uh, the re- release of its ma- major expansion, if people aren't familiar, I think has sold another million copies of the game. Crazy. I can't believe I still I mean, I said this before, but I cannot believe that this game outsold Street Fighter 2. That was shocking to me. Like, it, it, I, I didn't realize how big Monster Hunter was, I guess. Me neither. Had no clue. A lot of people back early in Vita's life cycle were saying, you know, because Monster Hunter was really big on PSP. And then Nintendo courted Capcom away with Monster Hunter and put it on 3DS. People really talked about how Vita really suffered because of that. And that might be one of the major reasons that Vita just didn't find its footing because it didn't have that that big game. And they tried with Freedom Wars and God Eater and other games, but uh, Soul Sacrifice, but it, it wasn't the same. It's not Monster Hunter. Yeah. So congratulations to Capcom on that. Chris, as tradition dictates, we must now read through the new game releases. There are quite a few of them this week. Yeah. You will begin. All righty. Here Enjoy. we go. A Knight's Quest comes to PS4. A gorgeous action adventure on an epic scale. Play as Rusty, a clumsy adventurer who accidentally sets about the end of the world. Oh. Okay. Solve mind-bending puzzles, fight challenging enemies, defeat huge bosses, and platform your way through a fantastic open world. Sick of them. A Winter's Daydream comes to PS4 and Vita. You can't stand his younger sister, Otoko, and the feeling is mutual. It's been almost a year since you left his dreary hometown, but he finds himself obliged to return to celebrate New Year's. Finding the atmosphere at home unbearable, you decides to escape once more, this time to his grandmother's snowy, secluded village. Eterno Blade 2 comes to PS4. Welcome back to the world of Eterno Blade. I think that's how you yeah, say it. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, let's adventure with Freya, Bernard, Fe- and Felix. Wait, what? Freya and Bernard. <laughs> that's a drastic... Let's adventure with Freya, Bernard, Felix yeah, that's what to, the Cro- to the Cronosian 
Holy wow. Holy shit. shit. For finding the three Artino... What, what is this? I don't even know. Artino Blades and using his power to stop Dark Abyss. Can you help Freya protect her future? Wow. Welcome back to the world of Eternal Blade. Let's adventure with Freya Bernard Felix to the Chronosian for finding... That's weird, right? That's not just no, me. No, no, it's bad English and I also... It, it's, it's, I mean, it's wrong. There's, there's okay. no end there. How many times can I possibly say... When we release our game, I guarantee you there's not going to be anything like that on PlayStation Blog, although I'll be, I'll be surprised if you even let us on the PlayStation Blog. <laughs> BB and Tina on the horse farm comes to PS4. Oh, Did you see yeah. the trophies that I put out about this? There's some interesting <laughs> trophies in this game. Enjoy exciting adventures at Martin Schaff. Explore the expansive grounds around Martin Schaff and Falkenstein Castle on horseback. Whether you're walking, trotting, galloping, or jumping, show what you've got in varied horse races of differing lengths and difficulties. Wild adventures await you. Two of the trophies in this game were you get one for, I think, bathing a horse and another for massaging a horse. Good. So go get erotic with your horses in BB and Tina on the horse farm. Oh, no. Concrete Genie comes to PS4. Concrete Genie follows the heartwarming journey of a bullied teen named Ash who escapes his troubles by bringing his colorful imagination to life in his sketchbook. While exploring his hometown of Denska, a once bright and bustling seaside town now polluted by darkness. This is, a, as we said earlier, a PlayStation exclusive made by uh, a studio up in Northern California. And I really think that it's interesting because with Pixel Opus, the developer, I'll just reiterate, I feel bad for them. <laughs> that, you know, they're releasing their game the day that they Sony decided to... Uh, be weird. Contraptions comes to PS4. Contraptions is a physics-based puzzle game with a fun cartoony look and feel to it. How many steps does it take to change a light bulb? If your answer is 10 or more, then you are ready for Contraptions, a game where the goal is to fix wacky contraptions that perform simple tasks in indirect and convoluted ways, Rube Goldberg style. Frostpunk Console Edition comes to PS4. Frostpunk is a society survival game where heat means life and every decision comes at a price. Presenting complex uh, strategic gameplay, demanding challenges, and rich story, Frostpunk Console Edition tests your tactical prowess on the frozen wastelands with revised controls and adjusted mechanics adapted for consoles. So they reached out to us about this game and I actually got a code for it. I've not played it yet. The, I didn't even know what it was, so I looked it up. It actually looks pretty cool. It looks like a pretty cool game. I can't speak to its quality, but it looks like you're just creating like a you're in some sort of like incredibly Arctic situation where you're building like some sort of town and mm -hmm. you have to like keep everyone kind of. I'd never heard of it. And so it looks pretty neat. In between comes to PS4. In between is an atmospheric award winning platformer set inside the mind of a man hit by a cruel twist of fate. Together, you are on a journey in a world that doesn't obey the laws of physics. Free your mind to defy gravity in more than 60 compelling and unique puzzles requiring all your wits and agility. Indivisible comes to PS4. Indivisible is a new action RPG from developer Lab Zero, creators of the critically acclaimed Skullgirls. Join uh, on, on, hmm, Ajna? Ajna. 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 There you go. Yeah, there you go. And a ragtag cast of characters as they set out on a globe-spanning quest to find out the truth behind Ajna. That's a hard name to say. Yeah, AJ is a weird name. AJNA. Uh, mysterious powers to uh, try to resolve the conflicts plaguing their world and confront an ancient deity. This game looks great. Yeah, and I'm, I've heard I'm really good things about it. Yeah, this game looks excellent. Uh, I, again, can't speak to its quality, but I'm really excited to play it. I remember liking what I played of Skullgirls. So. Skullgirls is a fighting game, isn't it? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Interfectorum comes oh, to PS4. Sounds disgusting. Yeah. Girls Make Games presents Infect Interfectorum, a horrifying murder mystery. Interfectorum is the story of Alice, a young sheriff in training who lives alone with her sister Sally, or Sally, they're spelling all these uh, unusually, in a small town next to the woods. 
Allie's return from a hike one day to find her home, the scene of a murder. Overcome with grief and vengeance, Alice, rebar- Alice rebarks, embarks, I'm sorry, on a mission to find the killer. I'm having a stroke over here. No, they're, they're spelled super weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really off-putting. Mistover uh, comes to PS4. Mystical RPG uh, with, uh, <laughs> with expeditions for finding the key to survival. Uh, choose your next step wisely and keep in mind uh, that your every move will change the future. Create your own core and explore through various regions in the Pillar of Despair, forests, lakes, mountain cities, cathedrals, castles, and more. Monochrome comes to PS4. Guide the world towards the right direction through judgments and a fantasy RPG with multiple endings. The Arbiter's mission is to use the ancient magic known as judgment to follow their own justice and guide the world to a better place. Get up to 18 allies from your judgments to try various formations and overcome challenges. River City Melee Super comes to PS4. The fight it out part of the Renegade River City uh, Niketsu Kuha Kunyo Kun series. Oh, look uh, at you. Did I say that right? Yeah. Oh, shit. Well, look at that. Numerous uh, sports spinoffs is back and powered up. No rules and fights to the finish where anything goes. It's weirdly worded. Uh, over 180 characters and over 250 different special moves. Seems like, I don't know if uh, Arc System is also publishing this, but it seems like Kunio Kun or River City Ransom, those kind of games are coming back in a major way. River City Girls just came out a few weeks ago, as you guys might remember. Highly recommended. Really, really great game. I don't know about this one, though. Slabwell comes to PS4. Somewhere deep in the Amazon jungle lies the finest treasure ever crafted, the Jade Alpaca. Professional thief duo Sam and Jackie head off on an adventure to recover the mythical art- artifact, determined to solve the riddles and overcome the challenges that have kept it safe through centuries. Spirit Hunter NG comes to PS4. Beware the creeping horror. Face nightmares you thought were merely urban legends. Uncover a dark mystery, making deadly decisions just to survive. Play this chilling companion story to the award-winning Spirit Hunter Deathmark game and bring the terror home. Okay. Stellatum. I think that's how you say it. it comes to PS4. Stellatum is a new scroll shooter. What? Equip your battleship's guns, install faster engines, and increase the power of your reactor. There are a barrage of rockets on hordes of enemy ships, burning everything in your path. So I guess it's an automatically scrolling shooter. I've not heard the term scroll shooter. Yeah. Before. Hmm. I don't know that term. Interesting. Super Boxland D-Make uh, comes to PS4 and Vita. Help solve moving box puzzles in order to advance to the next stage. Push boxes across a variety of different puzzling levels by yourself or with a f- by yourself <laughs> or with a friend in co-op mode. Control two different characters at once, even in single player, and choose from three difficulty options. Oh this is the description. Yeah, like actually. The Alliance Alive HD Remastered comes to PS4. New visuals, an updated interface, and more await you in this epic tale of trials and triumphs. Humanity has been shattered by invading demons. To reclaim their home, an unlikely fellowship of heroes will band together to spark a fiery revolution. The Bradwell Conspiracy comes to PS4. Following a sudden explosion at the Stonehenge Museum fundraiser, you find yourself trapped in a hidden underground complex. Faced with a series of puzzles, your only means of escape is by sending photographs of your surroundings to another survivor confined elsewhere. But before long, a disturbing truth begins to dawn. This game's supposed to be pretty good. That sounds like an interesting premise. Yeah. I like that. Trine 4 The Nightmare Prince comes to PS4. The best-selling Trine series returns to the magic of 2.5D. Join three iconic heroes as they set off on a quest through fantastical fairy tale landscapes to save the world from the Nightmare Prince's shadows. Experience the most complete trine ever created. Worse Than Death comes to PS4. Tell me about it. 
Uh, a scary action-adventure horror game about a high school reunion that goes horribly wrong. Run for your life, hide in the shadows, and use your wits to avoid shadowy creatures and uncover the terrible truths of your wretched hometown. <laughs> Solve devious puzzles Ooh. to reveal the emotionally charged story of Holly and her friends. And finally, Ukulele and the Impossible Layer comes to PS4. Yuka, Yuka and Laylee are back in a brand new platform hybrid adventure. They must run, jump, and roll their way through a series of challenging 2D levels, face a puzzling overworld, and rally the Royal Battalion. That's what it says. To take down the capital B and his impossible lair. So let's see what we have here for the games released this week that might be interesting. Concrete Genie, obviously, you guys are going to want to pay attention to. I think Frostpunk, uh, Frostpunk looks pretty good. Indivisible looks excellent. Anything out here that, that stands out to you, Chris? Uh, I was going to say though, I think I like the the premise. What I've read uh, of the Bradwell uh, conspiracy that sounds kind of cool. I think it's getting good reviews, but I'll have to double check that. Yeah. So yeah, obviously consult your critics of choice before you buy anything. But this is a pretty busy week. It is. Ukulele is another game that people are obviously going to buy. Trying for so lots to get into. Chris, as we usually do, let's end. Let me see here. Actually, one, two, three, four, five. Oh, okay, I'm right. There are six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience that I pulled out. And put here on my document. By the way, just so you guys know, and we've been doing this on several episodes of Sacred Symbols Plus, we get so many good questions submitted to us on Patreon, we're not able to use all of them. I've been putting them into another document, and we are eventually going to get to as many of them as possible as we do Sacred Symbols Plus episodes. So if you don't hear your comment read, do not despair. Do not despair. Zach Wishnuff wrote into us, said, Hello, C-Dogs. I'm a new Patreon and a longtime listener. Welcome and thank you. I'm actually the fellow who asked on Twitter months back if there were other options or that, that adhered to Dave Rubin and Jordan Peterson's Patreon boycott, and I appreciate the response. As you guys might remember, there was a little bit of a Patreon boycott yeah. about a year ago over some politics, and I didn't want to get involved in it. You convinced me to buy in with Sacred Symbols Plus, and I love the content. I digress. You have discussed the possibility or need for game prices to go up for the next generation, as well as the fact that the PS5 is going to be backwards compatible. Stop me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe that you've spoken about the intersection of the two. How do you think Sony can go around charging a premium for cross-gen exclusives if a consumer can just purchase the PS4 edition? Do you guys think that there will be an option to purchase enhanced patches for those PS4 games, or will they only be available for the PS5 edition? I think we did talk about this. We did. Because I, I, I remember this was the immediate thing that I thought of. Yeah, we did talk about it, but I wanted to get more into this idea of patching. What do you think? Like, this is going to be a confusing situation, which I think bears repeated discussion because mm -hmm. I do not know how this is going to work or how the game prices are going to work. Because he brings up a good point, Chris. If uh, next year's Call of Duty game is on PS4 and PS5, which it's going to be, what's going to stop you from buying the PS4 version and playing it on PS5? And wouldn't that be fucked up if it wasn't cheaper? See, we talk about game prices going up. But there's this other side of the coin that I actually think he's exploring here that's interesting, which is maybe the prices will actually stay stagnant and the prices of the last gen will go down because otherwise you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, right? I think that's probably what's going to happen. And also, we initially when we were talking about this, we didn't really give much uh, attention to the Game Pass model and how that's really, really drastically shifting the way the industry works. It very well could mean that because we have all these services now that might recoup a lot of the costs that would have otherwise been necessary to increase the, the prices of uh, games for. And especially now that digital is pretty much the way that we consume all of our games now and uh, a lot of retailers are starting to, you know, leave, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Uh, I think maybe they can get away with maybe keeping things the same, provided that these services continue to flourish. Yeah. Is, what, is my assumption. I don't think you're going to... But if that doesn't happen and games do go up, I, I'd imagine they'd probably just have some kind of price hike mid-generation after all of these like 
you know, cross-generation games are, are a thing. That's well put because I just I feel like this is a this is a peculiar thing that we've not really had to deal with in the past. Not really since like PlayStation 2 dealt with PS1 games and PS3 originally played PS2 games. And there were big PS2 games that came out after PS3 launched, like God of War 2. So it's not like there were there was not cross-generation confusion in the past, but this is going to bring this is going to up the ante. Well, especially before, because like when games would launch on PS2 and PS3 simultaneously, they would be they would be different games like entirely. Like I remember Spider-Man 3 was one of the games that I bought. I bought on Xbox 360 and PS2 or I got them for Christmas or something. And they were vastly, vastly different games made by two completely different teams. Nothing to do with one another. So the idea that like multiplayer games are now running on the same framework, you can play with people from previous generations. Uh, this is a very different uh, ecosystem that we're looking at. Yeah, definitely. I'll be interested to see how this all plays out. And mm. I will not blame the consumer for being profoundly confused next year when around this time when we're really going to be heightening up this conversation and and talking about all those things. But yeah, it's possible. I think as Chris is kind of insinuating that the solution might be baked into a cake that we just simply haven't that hasn't come out of the oven yet, you know, yeah. for lack of a better term to keep the analogy consistent. Ryan Griffiths wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, a bunch of awesome dudes. Have either of you ever played a game that you loved up until a boss that makes you want to delete the shit out of the game? I'm currently playing Remnant from the Ashes and have loved every minute up until the last boss. I've been stuck on it for ages and feel due to its poor design and frustrating ways. I'm close to just quitting, which is leaving a sour taste on the game overall. Keep up the awesome work, both of you. So the, the game that immediately comes to mind for me is, is the most recent Wolfenstein game, Youngblood, which had a, an end boss fight that fucking sucks. It sucks. And not only does it suck, I don't know if they patched this out. I don't think they did. Maybe they did where you can't even leave the area. So if you're there and you're engaged with the final boss fight and you die, you're stuck. So if you're not strong enough or you don't have the weapons you want or anything like that, you are done. And it was one of the recent boss fights that I encountered where I'm like, this is horrible. This is horrible. And don't know, don't have any idea what machine games Actually, it's Arcane was really thinking, right? Arcane, no, Machine Games did it themselves. It's Machine Games with assistance from Arcane, Arcane but I right. don't necessarily yeah. think Arcane did it. So I think that with boss fights, generally speaking, that they become kind of these cop outs in design where the game really spikes. And we've talked a lot in, the re in recent months, Chris, about how I feel like boss fights make a lot of sense in 2D side scrollers. They make a lot of sense in certain games, but removing the uh, removing boss fights completely i think is actually kind of cool and i think requires design philosophies and deeper thought that isn't present in games that are just like well you beat this hard stage now here's this fucking really annoying boss and yeah. it's just an old way of looking at games and i don't necessarily ascribe to that anymore yeah i the most recent uh, borderlands 3 got me to just completely like <laughs> it's not installed on my places right now i'm sure i'll get back to it at some point but uh, I hit this, I think I talked about this on the podcast last week. The Goliath week. enemy. Yeah, and I was just like, it wasn't hard, but it was just, I, I felt like my time was not being respected. And I was like, okay, come on. This is not funny. It's not fun. So what are you doing? Right, right. And it's just like, it wasn't frustrating in, in, the, in the same way that it was like impossible to complete. But I just felt completely almost insulted. <laughs> that I was being forced to watch this shit. Yeah, yeah it sucks. I, it always sucks when you hit a brick wall. Like, I want a game to kind of crescendo and get harder and be really natural in the way it increases its skill level. We're not in the NES and SNES eras anymore, which I love. But that's an old design crutch that's not necessary anymore to increase replay value and keep people sticking with games that would otherwise take 30 minutes to beat and shit like that. So 
when you play a game like the original Castlevania, where the game gets really, really hard and it's only six stages long, it's because you can beat the game in 20 minutes. And we're just not in that situation. You can literally be Castlevania in 20 minutes. It, we're just not in that situation anymore. So I just think we have to adapt with the times. And like I said, I think removing boss fights from a lot of games is actually the great place to begin that. Unless you're playing a JRPG, like I said, a side scrolling game, you know, a shooter like Borderlands, I think it makes a little bit of sense. In. Yeah, yeah. But I love when games don't have boss fights or when you expect them. Like Control is a good example that didn't really have a culminating end boss fight as much as it had an end experience. Right. And yeah. I don't think that's a spoiler at it, all. It's weird because yeah. it had boss fights, but they were like side things. Right. That was kind of cool. I love that. Me too. I thought that that was one of the neat parts about that fridge boss about control. Yeah. A little disturbing. Can't look away from the fridge. No. Alex shoot wrote in and said, Watto voluptuous Colin and spunky Chris. Is there any chance at all that Sony could incorporate a Vita successor into the PS5 by way of a detachable tablet style offering? Not dissimilar to the switch. It seems beyond comprehension that Sony would abandon the handheld space in Nintendo completely. We really know nothing at the moment about the form factor of PS5, and so I'm holding out hope for this possibility. Keep Tuesdays great from Foggy England. This was a really pertinent question until mm -hmm. we found out the DualShock 5 looked a lot like the DualShock 4. I still do feel like there's some sort of solution to this, but I really think it's going to come in the way of phones and tablets, Bluetooth connection to the controllers. I, yeah. I just feel like, unfortunately, the era of us getting this shit is gone. The problem with this, though, is just the inherent latency. I wonder, Chris, and this would be kind of neat if you could use PlayStation now to download native PS4 or PS5 games on some sort of emulation app that allows more native control of the game. And you know when you use Netflix on your phone and it's like you can download all these shows to net for, to your app so you don't have to connect to Netflix and then it kind of checks that you have Netflix and it'll purge them if you don't have a subscription anymore after a few days. Could they do something like that with games to, so you can natively play like Witcher 3 mm. on the, your tablet yeah. in a hotel room and it's running on an emulator that is somehow connected to PSN so it knows it's all on the up and up. I doubt that that's going to happen because that kind of removes the entire purpose of having a console, but it's still an interesting I don't know. adaptation, yeah. I guess, that could happen. Yeah, I, I think that's what Microsoft is doing. Uh, they, they showed off like xCloud, uh, I think, at E3 or like sometime around that time where they were showing like, not Gears, but uh, they were showing like a bunch of uh, first-party games. I think they showed like Halo running on like a, a tablet or whatever. And I, I think that's probably the future for those companies because, again, like making hardware is a huge money sink uh, a lot of the time. It's very rare that a, a company will make a, <laughs> will make a console that they uh, profit from, you know, at least all, right off the bat. So it's already a huge time investment. It's a huge money investment. Why not just use the, the hardware that is already so ubiquitous uh, to deliver your software, which is the stuff that you make your money on anyway? I think that's probably a smarter way to go about it than just making a new PS Vita or making a PSP 3 or whatever the hell. Right. Um, I think this is just the ecosystem that we're in now. And especially because PS Vita was so botched with a lot of the proprietary things, the proprietary memory cards, the proprietary charge cable, at least initially. Uh, I, I think, generally speaking, unless something is particularly unique, like the Switch, handheld specific gaming is not necessarily what people are into, at least not as a as a prime thing i'll be interested in this because I, I i agree with you completely and i think that it's almost entirely unlikely that they're going to make another handheld but i just feel like switch has kind of changed the game at least materially to this to the degree where you got to take a serious look at it whether or not you decide that you want to do that or not how can you not take a serious look at it 
with what what's going on with the Switch, right? Yeah. That's what I'm kind of interested in. Sony has a, an interesting pedigree with with handhelds, and I would love a new I'd love a new Sony handle. I think that would be so cool. But yeah, I, th- I think it's wishful thinking. And they really do seem to be focused more on on fewer games, fewer initiatives, fewer apps, fewer all these things that while they were really distracted, you know, Vita came out when they were really distracted during the PS3 era where they were doing so much shit and all these games and throwing everything against the wall. That's not really the Sony we have anymore, but I would have to believe that they are they have if not are taking a look at that anyway because how can you ignore that i mean that's the thing that frustrates me a little bit yeah let's see here ryan gerson wrote into us and said hello you two buttery beautiful biscuits oh god Longtime listener of yours, Colin, and a brand new patron. Oh, thank you, Ryan. Welcome. After listening to all the insightful and awesome content you released about The Last of Us and The Last of Us Part 2, got me thinking about violence and firearms in video games. Not to be overly general, but we can acknowledge that the mainstream games media and industry is largely very, very liberal, political bias aside. Why does a group or industry of people who vehemently disagree with them, like firearms, seem to rely so heavily on them as a cornerstone of our experiences? I don't think all liberal or left-leaning individuals disagree with the right to use and bear arms, but it does strike me as odd with, I'm sorry, at odds with the general ideology that many of them hold. This topic isn't meant to say video game violence equates to real world violence, more of a cursory inspection about why an industry that seems to go in one direction ideologically delivers products that glorify or display a different one. Thank you all for what you guys do. Glad to no longer be a freeloader. This is an excellent question, Ryan. And I don't know that there's too much to read into here. Perhaps we're reading too deeply into it, but it is true that on one hand we have, you know, a leftist kind of media and leftist kind of industry. That's fine. That are particularly against firearms. And you would think the the leftist tradition of being against violence generally, that's not really a super thing anymore on either side, unfortunately, but there is a glorification of firearms in these games. There is a glorification of not only violence, but of violence by firearm. And I do think that it is a little weird for a person working at Activision on a Call of Duty game to be. And I'm not talking about anyone individually, by the way. So I don't want anyone to get the yeah, wrong idea. Yeah. But just like you can imagine someone at Sledgehammer being a, a big Beto O'Rourke fan or something like that, who is like a gun confiscationist also working on a video game that glorifies the use of firearms and proliferates that to young people. And I do think that while, and I I think he's right, I don't know that there's a real world correlation between the effect, the cause and effect, but there is a bit of a hypocrisy there that I think is worth examining, whether or not you agree that it's really hypocrisy or not. What do you think? I think if it exists, it's possible. I don't think necessarily based on what I've seen a lot, is that straight-up confiscation of of firearms is a very kind of... It's not really as widespread of a thing as, like, people might think it is. Beto O'Rourke, that that whole thing, was very, very not popular at all. No, it seemed to have hurt him, actually. Yeah, it was a a dumb thing. Like, even even some of the most left-leaning shows that I watch were like, that's ridiculous. Like, we have... Amendments and shit, and like the 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 left argument, I believe, is just like how do we mitigate this as best we can, right? Because it is a problem, and that's the thing about it. But like, it's confiscation is like a whole other thing. If somebody is is a confiscationist, and they're you know uh, pitching ideas like Call of Duty or or working in some capacity in a creative way to you know bring violence and firearms to the forefront of creative entertainment and video games, I think maybe there might be a, a hypocrisy there, but I don't know if it's really that prevalent, that opinion specifically. But also, I'm not necessarily sure that 
it matters because it's so specifically fantasy. Like, if you believe that fantasy is fantasy, then it, it doesn't matter what you put in a video game. Yeah. It's that, those yeah. people who are a bit more hypocritical, I would, I would say. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. That's what I was thinking, too, is that if you really just draw a delineating mark between the real world and the fake world, which I think most of us are yeah. able to do. And we talked about that with Grand Theft Auto V, even... Like I was talking about how disingenuous I think the argument is around like, well, of course, games don't cause violence. And my whole argument was like games probably do cause violence. They probably just cause violence in a really small way. So if 10 people are inspired by Grand Theft Auto to commit some sort of heinous violent act because they played the game, well, there's 100 million people that played it. So it's kind of a minor act. Right. So we can't run away from that reality. Right. right. Albeit it being a minute reality. My bigger question, and we've talked about this so much, Chris, and I really love examining this is why we are so reliant on violence in video games as a mechanism to play. And I, I think that it's somewhat lazy in some ways. And I say that as someone who loves violence in video games. Yeah, yeah. It's just that like, I'm not a game developer, so I'm not, it's really not up to me to deliver experiences that are outside the box in that way. And so while I understand the point here that Ryan's making, I think it's actually a different point which, that I would like to make, which is it's not just guns. It's not just knives or swords or whatever. It's just like, Violence is such a is such a crutch for so many games that I would like to see people examine that in different ways. And and obviously there are lots of games that don't require violence. I'm not saying that sure, but the sure. biggest games yeah. you can imagine outside of sports games and stuff are all violent. And so uh, I would like to see developers deal with that and, and kind of reconcile their real world feelings with actually the games they're making, because I think that you have to kind of let your real world feelings seep into the games you create. So. That's where I think the hypocrisy actually might exist. Maybe. Like, let it seep in. Like, let it be a commentary on how you feel. If, even if you're a dev working at Sledgehammer on Call of Duty, obviously this is all about gunplay and stuff like that. But can you let that seep in somehow into that game nonetheless? Or could we make a Call of Duty game that doesn't require so much killing or optional killing? It reminds me of the No Russian stage in, uh, the, I think that was the original Modern Warfare. Uh, or is that Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare 2? 2. Yeah. Which, for people that don't know, was an optional stage that you could actually, at the very beginning of the game, opt not to play, where you go through as Russian terrorists through an airport and you can kill like all these civilians. Well, it was kind of a commentary on if you did it or not. I played it and didn't shoot anyone because it's not the way I, want. I don't want to do that, you know? So it's a little bit complex, but I would like to see more gradient in for all sure, this yeah. kind of stuff, even in games that require violence or gunplay. Yeah, I, I I don't fault anyone for thinking that. Yeah, that makes sense. I think uh, I do think violence is a crutch uh, for developers specifically, though, because it is so ubiquitously, you know, not something that <laughs> you can just do. You know what I mean? It's not something that you can't go around and kill people. Like that's a it's a fucking crime. Right. Right. You know. So the fact that you can't do it is what I think makes people make simulations in which you can yeah that makes it's sense just like a, it's just like catharsis i guess you know how, how often have you been like I, this fucking guy oh yeah all you know <laughs> like all the every have day read, have you read my twitter feed <laughs> the the thing that i think is interesting too is that there are games that have kind of dealt with this like i always think about fallout specifically fallout 3 from for me being a console gamer that was really one of my first experiences with an open world where there were npcs that you could like really do whatever the fuck you wanted to and there yeah, was yeah a consequence to doing it and you shoot at someone not only did they shoot back but they remembered that you shot at them so when you see them the next time they're still hostile see that's the kind of cool stuff where it's like make a price right yeah and make you pay make someone pay it to be violent and i think that that's kind of an interesting 
We're, that's an interesting, clever design workaround. And that For game's sure. not, you know, 11 years old now. But so. do I think that anybody working on Doom Eternal is a conf- <laughs> you know, a confiscationist? No, I, I really don't think especially so. Especially down there in Texas, I don't think so, no. I doubt it. Space Cowboy wrote into us, said, Hey, Colin and Chris, long time, first time, and all that garbage. Anyways, I've been thinking a lot about the majority of the gaming market's slow and agonizing march towards imitating mobile gaming monetization tactics. With Nintendo seemingly digging increasingly into mobile gaming monetization standards, where do you think PlayStation stands as it refers to mobile gaming? I don't think they'll take another shot at a handheld, but with the ubiquity of mobile phones and strides in the technology going into them, it seems like they'll have at least one of their studios take a crack at the mobile market soon. And if Sony decides to get into the mobile gaming market, what would you like to see them attempt? As an aspiring game developer myself, I often wonder what the proper balance between console gaming and mobile cash grabs will eventually look like. Thanks for consistently yeah. making our Tuesdays great again. What do you think? Uh, you can do whatever the hell you want on mobile. Make the most unethical thing you could possibly make on mobile. It makes no difference to me. <laughs> yeah, you almost like wanted to ruin the mobile market. Almost. I, I, no, I just like I, I can't care. I can't even pretend to give a shit about the mobile environment because it's so shit for me, in, in my opinion. And it's and it's like those people just love buying garbage so like if it's if that money is just going back into funding playstation so we can get a crazy good god of war you know whatever by all means do what you wish okay so it's important to note that and and i actually we actually cut there because i wanted to just look it up real quick because i wanted to make sure how ubiquitous it was playstation mobile was a thing and there were plenty of games coming out so you guys have to remember there's there's actually multiple like I don't know, parts of this fork, as it were, mm-hmm. where it's like there was PSP and PSP Go specifically then had PlayStation minis, which were a lot of ports of mobile games and also games that were designed to be cheap and mobile like. Then there was PlayStation Mobile, where games would exist on, I think, Sony phones and in this mobile ecosystem. And then there were actually first party IP that found their way in the mobile. Like, I think Sackboy Run and all there was, I think, an Uncharted game. And also Vita had an Uncharted card game that was like a mobile type game. So Sony has kind of fucked around here in the past a little bit. And I would expect them to do it again in the future. The one thing I think to Chris's point in our kind and how much we degrade the mobile market and, and hate it is that it degrades itself with its monetization tactics. So if Sony wants to explore this realm because because Nintendo has made a great deal of money, uh, not only on Pokemon Go, which it doesn't completely own, but also in like the, the Mario Run game and, and, and Animal Crossing. I think there's a Fire Emblem game. They just put out like Mario Kart on phones too. Yeah, Mario Kart, which my nephews were playing when I was there. So they're all in. And it's so funny because that rubber band just totally broke after a while because they had they wanted nothing to do with it until they were finally convinced that it was worthwhile. And now they found a lot of success there. And it seems like people feel respected in Nintendo's ecosystem. So if Sony went in 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 a similar way, I think that that could be a really interesting way for them to draw in more players. It's just that you don't want them to get the worst aspects of PlayStation or of uh, mobile monetization onto PlayStation. And in their first party games, you just don't see that shit. The only controversial thing I've ever seen in a PlayStation first party game in terms of monetization was during that small run in 11, 12, where they, in 2011, 2012, where they had online passes. Yeah, the Uncharted season pass. Right, exactly. And that was like not a good experiment. That w- I understand why they did that. It, it didn't work out well for them. It was just trying to stop people from selling their games. So I, I understand that there's this, this other mobile ecosystem, but I think all of the things that are happening there are things that we can learn not to do, in, or hopefully PlayStation learns uh, not to do in their own mobile market if they choose to explore that. But um, there's a lot of crossover and synergy. I hate that word, but there's a lot of synergy that can be achieved by leveraging playstation on mobile not only with this like these playstation apps like that game hidden hidden um hidden agent or hidden links or something has its yeah, own yeah. app and stuff 
But beyond that, yeah. like put a put a native game on there and see if it can draw people in uh, and go from there. So I, I don't really have any problem with with them exploring it. But like Chris said, these mobile cash grabs could potentially pay for other things, which is, I think, what Nintendo is probably doing, too. Although Nintendo is obviously making an enormous amount of money on Switch as well. So they don't really need the mobile money. That's just kind of icing for them. Yeah. So we'll see how it all works out. As far as like stuff that I would want to see on mobile, I, I just can't think of anything. Because it's just not how I want to play anything. No, me neither. I don't want to play games on mobile. I mean, at the very least, or at the very best, I guess you should say, like, you know, match three games and stuff like that. But you don't, that's not really, I'd actually rather play that on PS4 as well. So, yeah, I, yeah, no, exactly. I feel like the time that I spend that would be occupied by playing a mobile game, I just spend by dicking around on Twitter or like texting or, right. or doing something else. Well, it's a good point, Chris, because mobile gaming seems to mostly be a distraction in transit, right? And a PlayStation experience is an experience that you are going out of your way to envelop yourself in. They're they're two different things, right? They're two different experiences. So you're absolutely right there. Finally, Brian Chai wrote in and said, hello, gents. Just listened to the latest episode of Sacred Symbols Plus and Collins opining on why there isn't more of a crossover between sports and gaming fans made me think of this question. I know you guys generally hate these is X really Y type questions. But is Madden really a turn-based RPG? You are literally inputting commands turn by turn. You have a party consisting of players with specialized roles, and there are quite a few stats. There's literally a strength rating in Madden, and that stat's been in virtually every RPG ever. Franchise mode even has experience points. Thanks for all that you do. And he says, PS, go. I'm not going to say because I hate the team. So, Chris, it's funny. I brought this up because you said this a couple weeks ago. You were watching a Jets game with me. And you said, you literally said, this is a turn-based role-playing game. That's what you said to me. Yeah. So I just thought that was so funny that he brought that up That is kind of weird, well. yeah. yeah. It is. And it, it would probably explain why I'm not that big on him. Right. <laughs> you know, because it's just a turn-based RPG, except with like a skin that I also don't <laughs> really care that much about. It's interesting because he's bringing up Madden in particular, which is like kind of a hybrid between turn-based role-playing games and then action role-playing game as well, because you're obviously controlling your characters. But even then, the you know, there's there's 11 players on your team on, on the field in the NFL. So there's 22 players on the field at one time, 11 controlled by the enemy AI or the opposing AI, and then 10 controlled by the AI on your own team. So you're only controlling one of the players. So in that regard, it really is a turn-based role-playing game. And I know it's not necessarily new to call Madden an RPG, but my, my, uh, for people that didn't listen to Sacred Symbols, my con, um, contention was, why isn't there more interest from sports fans in video games, considering sports are so heavily dictated by what make certain video game genres run? And so I think the reverse needs to be true. Like, I would really love to turn football fans into role-playing game fans. It's much easier, I think, to turn a role-playing game fan into a sports fan. So right. I would love to see like a, a, that go the other direction because I think there's so much for sports fans to love in video games. And I always find it weird when it's like, oh, sports ball and all that kind of stuff on Twitter. It's like, shut up. Like there's so much continuity between all of this. Yeah. That it, to me as a big sports fan and a big games fan, it that makes so much more sense to me than someone not, mm-hmm. in fact, being into them. Well, maybe it's because when you're watching sports, it's it's a passive thing. You're you're watching it. You're not right. you don't really you're not expending any thought or energy really sure you're like look at you're watching and you're like maybe thinking about like oh what what might they do what might what might uh the other team do but i don't i i I think the passiveness is the thing the the second you get somebody who's very interested in stats and that kind of thing in a passive way to then be like hey manage this you know magic squad you're like what what do you mean yeah they don't i feel like they'd almost be more interested in watching hmm you know Which is I mean? where ESPN's broadcasts of some of these games come in and, and yeah. 
not being very well received either. Although I appreciate that ESPN's trying to do mm. that with Hearthstone. I think they try to do it with uh, League of Legends. So yeah, it's interesting as a, as a spectator sport because those those things are spectator sports. Many more people watch them than play them. I don't even understand how that half these games are even played. So yeah, it's not quite as complicated as Eve Online, which I literally have no idea how it works. No, I, I can't. I tried. I tried. A friend of mine got me into it, and I was like, "All right, how do I do this?" And then I, I, I accidentally ejected myself out of a ship, and I was like in a little pod, and he came over and killed me. And, and then that I was, was like, the right, end of cool, the game. Thanks. Yeah. Good. Good. Good stuff. Thank you, CCP. Yeah. Thanks, friend. All right, Chris. That's all we have for this episode. This long episode of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. It was a good one. It was a meaty one. Unexpected, and we appreciate Sony obviously dropping the, that news, even at the behest of their own game and their own studio, who they undoubtedly hurt. This has been happening a lot, by the way, where they'll put stuff out on Tuesday. And yeah. we just so happen to be recording on Tuesday, and it works out. I Very won- odd. There has been some, not much, but some pushback in the audience to be like, should we be recording this on a different day? Hmm. You know, and it's it's an interesting question. I don't know the answer to it. Uh, I think they're just putting them out on Tuesdays because they know we record on Monday. Yeah, they fucking hate us. So I mean, there's no doubt about it. Like everyone and their mom got a Concrete Genie. I, I saw people popping up with Concrete Genie. I'm like, the fuck is this person? Yeah, my dad texted me about it. He loved Concrete. Yeah, Genie. he was like, I got. Uh, Mr. Maldonado was a crazy fan of Pixel Opus's <laughs> 2014 smash hit Entwined, so he definitely was in. Yeah, 100%. So he was definitely uh, all about trying this one out. My dad doesn't know how an analog stick works. Oh, no. I, I, a lot. Of, that's a big thing to learn. I've been trying to encourage some people, including Aaron, who tries to play some games where I'm like, if you could just sit down and really focus on learning how sticks work, then you can play so many different games. Yeah. I know it seems like you're going to have to relearn this over and over sticks again. Sticks are the biggest hurdle, I feel yeah. like, which is strange because I guess I've just been so used to him for so long. But it's like, hard for me to think back on when I learned or how I learned how to use sticks. It was PS2, obviously, or even PS1, but it was probably really PS2 when we had to start using them. I, oh, man. And I, was, I, I don't remember. It, it just happened one day. I was like six or something. Like, I was cra- crazy young, like to the point where it would have been almost impressive if I learned how to play video games without figuring sticks out. Yeah, I was in high school when sticks became like really a thing, you know, and because and, if you think about the N64 controller, it had or the GameCube controller, it had like a C, a C stick, but it was really only still one stick on the left. And it was the same functionality as the D-pad trying to segment your mind to control the camera as well as movement is just a, a hurdle for people to overcome. And that's a shame because I think it's isolated and alienated a lot of older and old school players that just don't understand it and don't understand that you can invert these if you really want to, if you're having a problem or, you know, because like I, I as everyone knows, I play inverted Y. And I wouldn't be able to play without that, you know, and, and including that Star Wars game that they just released, they re-released that that had to get that patched in because yeah. somehow the entire team didn't play with medieval had a, had a the demo had an inverted camera by default. Oh. I was like, what the hell is this? Interesting. Sacrilege. Interesting. That's for me. Other Ocean knows who but I guess the original bread. game didn't have sticks. So I guess. Yeah. Well, Chris, that's all. Let's yeah. Get the hell out of here. All right. Thank you all out there for listening to our show. We appreciate you. Remember, leave us nice reviews if you're listening on free feeds. Come join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. We could not do it without your support. Remember, your support gets us or gets you rather free episodes of Sacred Symbols Plus every week. I guess they're not free because you're paying for them, but Sacred Symbols Plus episodes every week. Uh, The ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas, early ad free access to the regular show and more. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye bye. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand, LLC, and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. 
Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algaret, Morgan Ashley, Saul Balcazar, Taylor Barkley, Adam Barnes, Martin Beck, Tyler Bello, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Eric R. Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C., Alex Cabrera, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Nick Cottrell, Philip Crone, Daniel D'Amour, Colin Davenport, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Liam Fagan, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Eric Harden, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Shane Hendrickson, Wyan Henry, Robbie Hensley, Scott Hernandez, Asa Haas, Johnny Humphrey, Stephen Insler, Blake Israel, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, Garrett Jaggard, Joshua Jonathan, Paul Joyce, Greg Juleps, Anton K., Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lostaqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Matthew Lenz, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Scott Lovelace, Josh M, Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, Ross Maranka, Matt Martin, Sean Mason, Jordan Mouse, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Raul Melendez, Andrew Mendoza, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, George Anthony Nunez, Brian Ott, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Zach Parsley, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymouth, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Nathan R., Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Daniel Rivas, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Jose Salinas, John Scholes, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Alex Schutt, Glennon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Shane St. Pierre, Ahmad Tamar, Will Thielander, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Trembley, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Troy Walters, Connor Walton, Isaac Wasteman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, David Wright, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Bloody Fang, Organic Produce, Casual Misfit. Gaming, Homeworld Hub, Mason, Throw7, McDog18, Infinite, Madmock Media, Not Your Real Dad, Mubarak, Chris, Richter86, Hugo's Desk, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, and Rainick. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.